Hello and welcome to a tattoo podcast. Uh, I'm your host. My name is Ryan Othus. You can find me online at bettertattooing.com. And uh, if you're listening right now, once you hit pause, go give us a, f- I don't know, what is that, a like, some thumbs up, stars, or whatever it is on the podcast player of your choice. We really appreciate that. If you would, I, I don't know why we do it, but evidently it's shameless self-promotion. So anyways, all that stuff's out of, out of the way now. <laughs> this week we're talking to uh, Shotzi Gorman, who is a pioneer inside the industry, which we've been trying to do that, I guess, this entire season with everyone who's been on. Uh, Shotzi's amazing. <laughs> Not only did we hear, uh, I got to hear so many really cool stories on and off the mic that, uh, you know, and some, some I probably shouldn't even repeat, but I just talking to him got me all inspired. You know, um, this week has been pretty hard. Um, just, just on me with the amount of stuff that's going on, you know, so it's, it's always nice to have a break every once in a while and just talk to somebody who's, I don't know, just seems to have it all figured out a whole lot better than I do. (laughs) So anyways, I won't leave you up, uh, uh, hang you up too much here on the front end, but, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to as well, you can go ahead and and shoot us an email. If you want to talk to Shotzi, you you can find him on online as well. And Shotzi Gorman on, on Instagram and uh, on Facebook and stuff too. We'll have links in the show description. Uh, but he has a call out. If you guys want to talk, or if, uh, if you want to discuss a few things that he said <laughs> and you're willing to be, you know, polite about it, just, just reach out, get in touch. And, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd love to have a chat. Anyways, here's the show. Thanks. I always forget. I always forget to just hit record right when I get in because I always know like yeah, yeah, people that's okay. say the most amazing stuff, and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> well, you just ask me about it again if you'd like. So. Oh yeah, no, that's that's cool. We'll, we'll go right through the cut. It's fine. Uh so I, I guess to start, and I'll do some heavy editing at least on the front end. Is there anything that you don't like talking about? You know, uh, well, uh, I mean, any topics that you just don't want to touch? Not really. I mean, I'm always into it. Yeah. yeah. Whatever happens, happens. You know, I'll tell you if it happens that I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> All right, Roger that. Yeah, I was trying to just be a little bit respectful. Yeah. The, uh, the goal of doing that this this season this year is just trying to find the stories, you know, and like the vibe of tattooing where it came from, to, like how we got to where we are now, which I think is lost. You know, like there's there's so many new people that have no idea how much effort came from previous generations to get us to where everyone has a tattoo now you know and when i was going through my my guest like hopeful guest list you were like number four (laughs) (laughs) so i knew i had to try and entice you by getting other people you know like kind of like do the circle around like hey check out who else i've talked to you know to to try and get you on because like i i did some some snooping for a few months just about like you and reading about you know what you've what you've done what you've been through and it's it's i don't know it's momentous right like this is like you started tattooing in new york like when it wasn't legal you know right yeah. <laughs> and you just you know have advocated for the idea of tattooing being you know an art form and mainstream for so long it's just it's wild and I've, I've talked to some younger people i live out in portland and i've talked to some younger people out here and they have they have no idea who you are and i'm like are you kidding me like 
Yeah, I, I, so. I did a few Portland conventions, and I was doing a workshop at the time and had a really great response. But um, I stopped doing the Portland convention, and then, uh, you know, well, now we've moved to the East Coast again, so I've left California. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of the young people, well, I mean, that's the nature of youth, right? They don't really care who you are. <laughs> they don't really care <laughs> that they're standing on, you know, that they're standing on your shoulders. They don't mm -hmm. really care. It's, uh, you know, it's being an iconoclast, right? You don't want to, um, you know, I mean, virtually, I guess musicians more than visual artists always give credit to who their inspirations are. Yeah. But visual artists generally try to hide who their inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that makes a lot of sense actually. And like as soon as you said that, my brain's like spider webbing out. Like you know, so many artists. I'm like, how many times do they say what? Not even their inspiration, but kind of like what their you know what their reference may have been, or like who they looked at, or you know. And you, you get to pull so much off of so many people all the time, but you're trying to define your own individual, you know, whatever path and a they find their own way yeah but yeah. that's the of being you know of growing as an artist i when i went to europe i was totally shocked because um first time i went to europe was in like 1981 and i was stunned that the european artists were doing really personal work it didn't you know like americans are like dogs they're always sniffing each other's behinds you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. and so whatever somebody says oh i like that they steal it and you know they claim that it's theirs but yeah. in europe everybody was even in the 80s i mean people were really doing personal you know work and were guided by their own their own muse yeah uh, it's the the benefit of a liberal arts education <laughs> yeah i think it does you know like i think australia and uh new zealand really push and especially like in the art schools yeah. for people to be self-motivated oh wow yeah and our art schools are like you have to do this you have to do this you have yeah. to do this it's that same regimentation you know yeah uh, and that's pretty frustrating you have to satisfy the teacher and not where your heart wants to go and you yeah know. yeah that's that's interesting i i uh had a, a guest on the show with the last season. Uh, he's a, a pragmatist and American philosopher. His name's Albert Spencer. He was talking about purse and the, the uh, evolution of education as we know it. And uh, when you're saying stuff like that, I keep thinking back to some of the things he had said about just, you know, it's, everything has become rote and it's become an, an institution like college has, or even if, you know, any education that you're going to get now to where we're trying to level the playing field in almost like a socialistic sense and then we're dumping people into a capitalistic mindset where there's no real creativity or individuality and people are going yeah. what do i do now <laughs> i have friends who are artists and they work in the academic world and they say working in the academic world is like going into a room full of shit up to your bottom lip <laughs> and as soon as you step in everybody says don't make waves <laughs> That's fantastic. I like that the artist in me is like, I wonder if I could do a cartoon of that. That's fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, I guess we usually start the show with just a simple introduction. Why don't you tell us uh, who you are, your name, where you work, and uh, kind of what you're about. How's that? Well, uh, my name is uh, Shotzi Gorman. Um, I, I'm a visual artist in many different directions. I do uh, ceramic sculpture, painting, watercolor painting, oils, uh, large-scale abstractions, and, uh, you know, two toothpicks and a pile of mud, I'm making an art form. So um, 
I've been tattooing for um, 45 years now. I started in 1977 uh, in underground in New York City. And uh, before that, I was doing visual arts, painting and drawing. And I tried to crack the code on the New York uh, art scene and ended up uh, to being a carpenter. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I met Mike Bacchetti, actually, if we're going to focus more toward the uh, tattoo world. Mike Bacchetti, who had actually one of the first legitimate shops in Manhattan, one of the oldest shops, um, but he, uh, was doing carpentry at the time. And, uh, you know, I got to New York city and I had nothing. I had about $1,500 and I was living in a, a sub basement apartment in the lower East side when I was the only Caucasian there that wasn't there to buy heroin. So, <laughs> you know, Different vibe. Well, you can see where ankles going by. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, Anyway, I started hanging out in these art bars and trying to talk to other artists to see what's what's happening, you know, make a social connection. And it was really tough. These guys were pretty elitist and stuff. And I, frankly, I didn't have an art education. Uh, so, uh, you know, I went in there and I, I, after I left the bar a couple of times, I went out and bought a dictionary so I could start to understand what the hell it was they were saying. <laughs> And then I started reading art history. I went to the library, got my book, self books on art history. But quickly to that point of meeting Mike, I, uh, I, I figured there was a pool table in this one bar where everybody hung out, and I'm a pool player. Oh, right so on. I got up there and started just knocking them down one after another and getting them to buy me food and drinks. And, yeah. you know, and they're like, who the hell are you anyway, you know? And, uh, well, I'm a sculptor. I'm just new in town. I said, and I'm really looking for a way to make money at work. You know, I'll work in a studio with somebody, help them do sculptural work or whatever. And they said, well, if you, you know, you, what kind of work you're doing mostly artwork. And I said, I make sculpture. And they said, oh, well, then you'll be a carpenter. I was like, really? They're like, yeah, if you were a painter, yeah. Or uh, you'd be doing electrical work. If you're a carpenter, you know, if you're a, a sculptor, you do carpentry if you're a singer dancer performer a musician you work in a bar or you work as a waiter or waitress <laughs> this is architecture. yeah yeah, yeah. So I said, okay well how do hello because i had in high school i every summer i built houses with these two guys and i had a lot of experience i could read a plan i knew basically yeah, yeah. how to post and lintel construction so anyway they said well you go out and you look for a dumpster <laughs> and if the dumpster's empty there's a job's going to start there, you yeah. know? So I, for a week, I went out walking around Soho, which is south of Houston. I don't know if you know New York at all. New York's the only place in the world where they say Houston as Houston. So <laughs> they're ashamed to say Houston, so it's Houston. House, yeah, we got Couch anyway. Street in Portland, and it's called Cooch. So, okay. yeah, anyways. Yeah. I like that, Cooch. We, we think of Cooch as a whole other thing. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> So at, at any rate, I, I go out, I'm looking for a dumpster and I find one and these two guys are getting off the freight elevator. And I said, Hey, uh, what floor, isn't that job on the fourth floor? And they're like, no, it's on the third floor. I said, what's the contractor's name again? And oh, it's Mike, Mike Bacchetti. Okay. And the elevator closed. <laughs> and I was like, shit. So I just started yelling up to yeah. the third floor, you know, like 38 feet in the air, Mike, Mike Bacchetti. And he sticks his head out of the window and he looks at me and he's like, I said, send down the elevator. So he sends the elevator. <laughs> you know, the, the elevators, they open up like this. Yeah. You know? 
And I step out and I'm, I got my hand out. I'm like, hi, Mike McCady, how you doing? I'm Shotzi Gorman. He goes, who the hell are you? He goes, well, I know you. I'm like, no, you don't know me. I said, but I'm new in town. I, I, I can do carpentry work and I'm a sculptor. And I understand that's, you know, that you're an artist also. And he, he just looked at me like shaking his head like, what did you just say? You know? <laughs> I, mean, I took that, that, that five minutes of courage, right, to go in and just talk to this guy. That's awesome. Yeah. And he said, can you read a plan? And I said, yeah. So he takes me over to the plans and it's this 3,000 square foot loft building, uh, right? And he said, I just realized looking at the plans that I can't handle this on my own. He said, do you have tools? I said, yeah, I have carpentry tools. Uh, I know what you're doing. I can tell you what's happening here and this and that. And he just laughed. He said, okay, Monday morning, <laughs> he said, Monday morning, seven o'clock, you get here and uh, we'll do this job. And if you can do what you say you can do, I'll hire you. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and that, that's, that's how I met Mike McCady. And then crazy. we became fast friends and uh, his family, uh, his wife, and he adopted me, really. They kind of adopted me. Uh, and uh, we did a lot of carpentry jobs together. And Mike had some tattoos on his arms that he was unhappy with. He got him in the Navy and when he was younger and wilder. And um, he decided he wanted to get them covered up. So I started going out with them to different tattoo shops. And I really never thought about doing tattooing, even though I had some hand-picked tattoos yeah. that I did. I was <laughs> drinking Bruce Farm apple wine. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't heard that in so long. I love Boone's. <laughs> Found out later it had formaldehyde in it, so I don't know how, <laughs> how good that stuff was. At, at any rate, uh, uh, yeah. eventually, uh, finally uh, settled on this guy Tom Slick. Um, I know you just went completely out of focus. I don't know if oh, that's it. Yeah, uh, we don't do the video anyways. Ours is just audio. Oh, okay. Hopefully, it will snap back. I'm on a bit of an older computer right now, so yeah. There you go. You're yeah. right. All right. <laughs> so at any rate, I started thinking it was my. Uh, Oh. My, my medicine. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I, I, uh, I have really bad allergies. I just came back to the East Coast after 15 years in California. Oh, yeah. And that's hitting me like a brick, you know. Yeah, yeah. So if I have to blow my nose in the middle of this, forgive me. But yeah, uh, no worries. Well, short story. Let me try to get this as quickly as I can. Mm -hmm. Mike started getting tattooed by this guy, Tom Slick. Oh. And he's going to do a Japanese sleeve. And so he starts getting tattooed and we start talking about tattooing. And I'd start, I went to the New York public library to look up books on tattooing. And there was one, one book. And it was written by Dr. Albert Parry. Oh, wow. Where he said that, uh, you know, it was called the strange art of uh, American uh, tattooing. Right. And where he talks about most people that get tattooed is like a sign of sociopathology. So you're <laughs> you have a predisposition to being a criminal if you're getting tattooed. Uh, and I, this is just 19th century bullshit. So uh, I couldn't find anything. I mean, this is in New York Public Library. The place is incredible. Yeah. And there was just nothing at that time. You know, we're talking 74, 75. Yeah. And uh, so Mike met Zeke Owens and Zeke said, whatever this guy is doing, he's an asshole. He's making a mess out of your tattoos. <laughs> and uh, Zeke took over. Oh, shit. Wow. Tattooing Mike's sleeves. Yeah. And so Mike and I, Mike said, he's going to learn to tattoo. And I said, I would really love to learn to tattoo as well. I'd like to be part of that. 
And, uh, you know, he started going around trying to find places to buy equipment and stuff like that. Nobody would tell him anything. <laughs> and then eventually he met some folks that gave him a few insights about where to get machines, you know, Puck Spalding uh, Rogers Supply and so on. And in those days, you got a machine that came in like a brown paper bag and pieces, you know. So, <laughs> what the hell do you do with that? You know, uh, like, uh, uh, humana, humana. And so Mike, he got involved and. We start, and we were we got very very close. As I said, I felt like uh, I was part of their family, you know. And yeah. we had two, two boys, uh, Mihai, and uh, and it, who now run was running the shop and just closed it recently. Oh dear, was that Fine that going? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, they run First Avenue there, and that shop had been there for forever, you know. Yeah. And uh, he feels terrible, but the landlord was jacking up the rent and giving oh. him. Every, time and it went crazy and then everybody started opening up in new york once things uh, shifted around so yeah yeah we've been having that explosion out here like oregon is one of the most uh regulated places in the country oh yeah i've been there yeah um, you have to go to tattoo school to get uh, a license to yeah, tattoo and air quote hard on that one school right but uh we also have the highest per capita amount of tattoo artists that are licensed in the united states really yeah which I'm sorry is, to hear that <laughs> yeah it's it's wild right like I, I, where my shop is um in the past month i've had five shops open up in the a quarter mile radius yeah it's just, uh, just wild when i was you know i first got in the business you know if you tried to open up on top of somebody you get a brick thrown through your window yeah. you know <laughs> or you down fire to it yeah yeah and that was the way things were done and even though i was 24 miles from the nearest shop when i left new york city i was working underground of course yeah and i left new york city i opened up in union city new jersey right and this woman uh lola had a tattoo shop and she was like 20 miles away from me wow. and she sent these two hard-ass biker dudes over <laughs> to my shop to like check me out you know <laughs> well we're here to make sure you know what you're doing and lola said blah, 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 blah. and i was like okay well here take a look here's what i do you know uh it became two of my best customers. <laughs> that's pretty uh, funny. That's wild. Yeah. What What was the vibe like in in that region at that time? Like uh, just just surrounding tattooing in general. We'll say like just the. Well, the I had to go to court aspects. to get open. Yeah. They tried to block me from opening. Uh, you know, they they tried to block me from getting a CEO. Had to hire a lawyer. Had to get a lawyer and take them to court. And it just did, didn't even really get to court. What happened was the the lawyers got together for the city and my lawyer, and the guy said, you know, we'll, we'll just sue you. You know, it's ridiculous. Why go through all this? Just give the guy a license, let him open up. So I ended up opening up on Kennedy Boulevard in Union City, where I then had to pay off everybody and his brother. I had to give out money to the building inspector. The electrical inspector, the plumbing inspector, yeah. <laughs> even the cop on the beat. You know, the cop on the beat knocks on the door and he's like, "Hi, you know, I, I'm walk the beat." And uh, yeah, hello, nice to meet you. And he goes, "You know, how we can keep keep an eye on your place for you." He goes, "You know, my wife wants me to take her out to this restaurant and it's really expensive. It's like two hundred fifty dollars to get a dinner with wine." And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, well, "Yeah, that's pretty expensive." And he's got his hand out. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, he's looking for $250. Yeah, okay, here you go, $250. Don't Jeez. ask again. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think you're going to come back here once a month and hit me up for, you know, dinner oh, dinner for two. Uh, yeah. Wow. And then I was open for 
two months. Yeah? And the Marielitos came. You know the story of the Marielitos? No, that sounds so Marielitos, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've seen the, uh, the, the film um, about the drug smuggler. Uh, Al Pacino plays, uh, yeah. you know, I say hello to my little friend. Yeah, Scarface, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scarface, that's yeah. it. So he was a Marielito. What happened oh. was um, Castro decided to get rid of all these people from the nut houses, right? All the insane asylums, hospitals, and prisons. Oh. He put them on small boats and he sent them to Miami. <laughs> so they hit Miami, 180,000 people. Wow. Before the government even realized it, they didn't see, you know, all these small boats, usually they're pleasure boats, right? But they're filled with people. And the Cubanos, there was a huge uh, number of Cubans in Union City already. It was the second largest community of Cubans other than Miami. Yeah. They swooped down to Miami and grabbed <laughs> all these guys and brought them up. Yeah. Wow. So I'm in town, and all of a sudden there's like, what, 80,000 new people in town from nut houses, <laughs> hospitals, and prisons, right? Uh. <laughs> so I had you know no idea what to expect. I saw it on the news that the, uh. the cops and everybody was trying to check and find out where these people went. And I was really unknown in the community. I just opened up there and uh, I get a knock at the door and I, I look out and I see these two guys in trench coats and I walk up, I look at their shoes and I know right away, these guys are cops, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they flash a badge, FBI, and they come in, right? And I'm like, uh, what can I do for you guys? Well, they hand me this uh, Xerox pamphlet, about 30 pages, and it's got all these pictures of tattoos that are done between the index finger and thumb each one representing what their crime was so if it was a pitchfork they were hitmen it was a fire they burned things down you know and so on and so on right loan sharks etc et yeah. and they said to me okay look uh anybody comes in here and wants to get this stuff covered up you got to call us i'm like uh wait a minute there's eighty thousand guys just out of a nut house and jail <laughs> yeah and you want me to call you? I live here. You know what yeah. I mean? I live in the, back of the shop. Uh, I'm like, what do you want me to do? End up in a bag? And they're like, no, this is your civic duty. And I'm like, Dude, you're the first guy I'm going to call. I said, make sure you leave me your personal phone number. Yeah. I kiss my ass, you know? So about a week later, I get this knock at the door. There's a whole bunch of guys. And they're like, uh, can, can you help us? We want to get rid of these tattoos on my index finger and thumb. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> and one after another, I just covered that stuff up. Oh, and I worked for like uh, three weeks straight just covering these things up, right? Fantastic. And I'm thinking, as this FBI doesn't know that I'm doing this, I'm making okay money and I'm yeah. keeping busy. And I'm meeting all these new Cuban people that are <laughs> coming into the community, right? And suddenly these old ladies start to show up, these beautiful old, you know, thick Cuban women. And they all got food. Oh, <laughs> uh, he made just some tamales, you know, he made just some, you know, sandwich, and, you know, uh, thank you for my cousin, my uncle, my brother. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, you know, and, uh, well, I, I thought, I'm in now, right? I, the community likes me, you know? <laughs> so uh, I get another knock at the door, and I go out, and there's this guy in a white suit and a fedora hat, right? Oh. He's got a little Errol Flynn mustache, and he's yeah, smoking yeah. a big fat cigar, you know? I opened the door and I go, I'm not open yet, bud. What can I do for you? You know, I said, Oh, yes, I just wanted to thank you for helping my people. I said, Your people? Yeah. He said, first of all, he said, everybody knows that the FBI was here. 
I was like, what? <laughs> he said, the whole town knows that the FBI was in your place. You've been covering up all those tattoos. He said, yeah. I really want to say thank you. And I said, well, who are you? Like, Because the, the mayor and all the people that were in office in town were all mafia Italians, all oh, mafia connected. Yeah, yeah. He said, well, I'm, I'm the, he said, no, no. He goes, I'm the Centero. So you know what a Centero is? No. Centero is a Centuria priest. Oh. So he's a guy that does chicken sacrifices, yeah. and cheap sacrifices, and he, uh. he helps people solve their problems. And he said, so when anybody gets in a car accident in Union City, they don't call the cops. He said, they call me. I come and I settle it out with the family and make sure everybody gets taken care of. Oh, you know? shit. That's he heavy. said, you know, he goes, uh, next time I come in, he goes, I'm going to bring you some Cuban cigars and we're going to drink some uh, Felipe Segundo brandy together. Do you drink? I said, yeah, I'll have a cigar and a brandy with you for sure. You yeah, know? Absolutely. And, right? and I'm like, wow, that was really odd. You know, was... <laughs> so the next day I get up and I do my thing. I'm organizing, I'm cleaning. And I, I go to, I had a little shotgun shop. I was the only guy working and I went up uh, to the front. And I went to open the door and I looked out and there was a line. <laughs> I mean, a line down the street no of shit. people waiting for me to open. So I opened, I'm like, okay, you know, come on in. You can't wow. fit all in here, but you know, come. and I'm like, where did you, how did, how did you get here? What, what did you hear about me? They're like, well, you know, my son, he doesn't speak properly. He stutters. And I went to the Santero and the Santero said, I have to say prayers to Santa Barbara and I have to get a bull's tongue and put a thing in it with salt and put it under his bed. And then I have to get a tattoo. <laughs> so he said, all oh, people. And he said, this is part of your healing requirement, you know? Wow. And so for a good eight months, I did nothing but like, uh, Santa Barbara and Curidad, which is like this Cuban picture of three guys in a boat with a saint over the top. Wow. And Our Lady of Copper. And I did uh, St. Lazarus, which is the old man uh, with the dogs. You know, wow. just fun. You know, it's having fun. I was just tattooing like crazy. It was really amazing, you know. Uh, and then the Santero shows up again. He's like, okay, got cigar and the brandy. And I let him in. We we're sitting there drinking brandy and smoking a cigar. And it's just really lovely, you know. That's fantastic. Wow. There's a lot more to that story, but I don't yeah, want to. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Is... But, you know, I'm in Union City, New Jersey, and I'm booked out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Although that... one thing I have to tell you that this guy, he had a couple of the Cuban guys worked as taxi drivers in New York City. So they stopped in. They're like, hey, you know, everybody's always asking, where can I get a tattoo? Where can I get a tattoo? If we bring you people... Uh, we want 20% of whatever you make. And I'm like, 20%? I'll give you 10. They're like, no, 20. No, I said, I'll give you 15. Okay, we shake hands. Uh, 15% of nothing is nothing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few days goes by, and this van pulls up. It's not a taxi. It's a van. <laughs> and it's filled with drunken French sailors. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Fleet Week in New York. Yeah. So these guys are on the Jean d'Arc, which is this nuclear-powered, you know, weapon-filled boat. Yeah. And they get out, and they all got these beanies on with a red thing on the top. Yeah. You know, their outfits, their sailor outfits were really weird. And they're drunk as shit, and they're pissing up the wall on the outside <laughs> of the shop and stuff. <laughs> and I had to find one guy who spoke enough English. that I sat him down. I said, I'll give you your tattoo for free, but you're not moving until I do everybody, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to get to do all the sailor tattooing, right? And they come in. What do they want? Angels, fairies, and oh, golly. unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, what is this? What <laughs> after another? Sit down, and, you know, sit down, you know, and then they leave. And then oh. that night, I worked till what, two in the morning, tattooing oh. these guys. Get a knock at the door, 2.30, I'm closing up. Okay, and they got their hands out. Where's our 15%? You know, okay, here's your 15%. We'll be back tomorrow again. Same thing. No shit. A whole van full of drunken French uh, sailors. Wow. <laughs> Eventually, they invited me to go to their ship and they gave me a tour. Oh, wow. On dark, I went downstairs where all the nuclear weapons were. And so, <laughs> I'm not supposed to go down there, but come on, you know, we'll wow. show you. It's that's amazing. It's, it doesn't seem like you have these these stories cropping up anymore with everything being so mainstream. Like the, I don't yeah. know. Like there's a lack of community, anyways. I'm seeing like throughout the industry now, it's much more of like a, a competition versus everyone kind of. Well, it's a corporate together. thing now. I mean, it's become a, an industry as it's referred to all the yeah. time. I just yeah. went to a tattoo show in um, Virginia, and it was the Skin Industry Tattoo Expo, and I was like, Skin Industry. Oh man. That's it. That's it. That nails it right there. It's an yeah. industry. So uh, people that don't tattoo have money and they're investing in opening up tattoo shops yeah. and schools uh, yeah. and everybody's a supplier. Uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, Jack Rudy saying they should kill all these guys that are selling supplies. Now he sells ink. You know what I mean? Nah. It's like, Come on, Jack. <laughs> a little double speak there, buddy boy. Uh, you know, mm. so. But that's the way it is. And, you know, these days, when you go to a tattoo convention, you're looking at 200 booths. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it used to be two tattoo conventions, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and one in Europe, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. And we all knew each other. It was like a, a big dysfunctional family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I've kept a steady um, correspondence with uh, Phil Fairweather over the past like 15 years he doesn't it, like it, i just started sending him emails i'm like hi phil i'm ryan <laughs> he's like who the fuck yeah, are you dude and uh he, he tells me a lot of stories and, and there's always commonalities in like the names and locations and stuff that pops up and it did seem like even if somebody and i've, I've talked to so many people now had like oh, that guy was kind of a prick back in 83 or something you know what i mean like there it was it does feel like much more of a family and like there was a connectedness where everyone shared a common goal you know, and it's not. I don't know if they shared a common goal, but they sure shared a lot of common drugs. You know? <laughs> that was, that's what I remember. And I remember you know, tattoo conventions being about hooking up and whoever you could find at the tattoo oh, convention. Shit. Wow. <laughs> that's and it was funny. all like a circle because it was a small group. And I mean, the tattoo shows had 30 booths, 20 booths, and that was a lot 30 booths, you know. Oh. And uh, when. I, I, one time I was tattooing at, at a, a national convention and, um, you know, uh, Greg Irons had the booth next to me and I'm tattooing and we started tattooing at like 10 o'clock in the morning and we just worked and worked and worked. It was one o'clock in the morning and we we're still going. And I looked over at him. I said, I'm not quitting, man. He goes, me either. And we just <laughs> right through to dawn, we worked, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we were like exhausted. And Randy Adams, I don't know if you know him. He's an East Texas guy. Uh, he's been in the tattoo world a long time. He partnered up with uh, Gil Monte and they did uh, 
the uh, tattoo shows out in LA called, uh, oh God, I'm going to forget that what they called them. But anyway, they did a series of tattoo conventions, three of them. And uh, so at any rate, Randy comes and he's got this beautiful girlfriend, uh, Kathy. And she was, you ever see that poster where there's all these girls that are half naked and they get their butts sticking out and they're in the back of a pickup truck. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Falling ass, it said on the thing. Uh, well, he, she was one of them, right? So oh. <laughs> she comes up and she's got a fur coat on, and we're sweating and we're tired. And it's hotter than hell. And I'm like, what the hell is she doing with the fur coat on? And Randy says, show him. And she went, wow. You know? <laughs> and we both woke right up. We're like, oh, yeah, we're awake now, man. Let's get some coffee, you know? <laughs> and uh, I work with Greg next to Greg, and Greg was a really super guy, uh. you know? And he tattooed me. Um, that's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm so, you have no. to forgive me if I'm bouncing around here, but this is how I met, um, how I met Henry Goldfield. I made an appointment to get tattooed by Greg and I came out, Lyle Tuttle invited me out to be there for bringing Betty Broadbent, Betty Broadbent into the Hall of Fame when he was first starting his Hall of Fame and he wanted me to be part of it. So I got out there and I made an appointment to get tattooed by, by Greg and I go to uh, you know, Henry's shop on Broadway and it's not open yet. And I knock on the door. I see him run, rummaging around in the back, you know, and he comes out and he opens the door. And I said, I said, Oh, I have an appointment with Greg. And he's all right, come in and sit out front here, you know, and just walks back in the back room and he's digging around. And I'm like, so are you Henry? And he's like, yeah, I'm Henry. I said, Oh, I'm Shotzi Gorman. He said, fucking Shotzi Gorman. And then he's digging around these drawers. Right. And he takes something out of the drawer. And you know, that's a good, we're a good 20 feet, maybe 20 22 feet apart yeah. and he throws it at me <laughs> it's the wall right boom and it falls to the floor i'm like what the hell is he doing so i bent down i picked it up and i had a rubber band around it and i had done this tattoo of a tiger you know with exaggerated foreshortening with the claw out and there were no tattoo magazines so it was only titty magazines and biker magazines that covered the tattoo scene and this was in we magazine this picture of the tattoo was oh, a yeah. sex magazine. Like oh, okay, yeah. one of the first ones to show pink kind of a thing, you know? So at any rate, Henry says, I hate this fucking tattoo. He said, <laughs> fucking sailor that comes through the door, brings me this fucking picture. <laughs> and he slammed them all. I mean, he had a fucking stack of them. He fucking threw it at me. And that's how I met Henry Gofield. <laughs> Oh, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm just enjoying hearing you. So I came up with like a list of questions and stuff. Okay, and you just like, can ask me some questions. Oh, I, I don't even know how to start with this. Like these, these stories are, are great. I mean, it, it's so different than my experience walking through a convention nowadays. It's like when you walk through it nowadays, people have headphones on. They're not paying oh, attention. Yeah. There's everyone's kind of cloistered into their own little individual space. And they don't look up unless they're trying to win an award, you know? Right. And it's not hard to, because there's so many, like you can, you can win an award. I can go win an award tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like it's, it's something special, at least in, in my mind. Like when I first started, it was, it was really interesting to see somebody come in and sweep a convention. You know, like I, I, you know, I, I, every kid that I ever taught the tattoo, I said, first of all, you have a responsibility to entertain that person that you're tattooing. Yeah. You want to make them feel safe. You want to make them feel like you're the only person in the world that I'm thinking about and yeah. take care of them, right? Now I see kids, headphones on, heads down. Their customers are sitting there looking around like, 
it's terrible. It's a terrible way to treat people, first of all. And then you got these butthead shows where they're calling people canvases. Oh yeah, that's I you know. can't I can't abide by that. That bothers me to such degree. Like I, actually, it was kind of interesting when you were saying about entertaining. Yesterday, I got the best compliment of my career. I've been tattooing for 21 years now, and I had a young kid come in. This is his first tattoo. Just did some you know graphic comic booky type of thing on his forearm. And when he left, he like right before he walked out the door, he turned. And he said, "Hey, I wanted to thank you. You made me feel really comfortable." And yeah. just left. I was like, "You couldn't ask for anything better." That's the no. biggest compliment you could get uh, because, first of all, it's your first tattoo. You're scared to death. You don't know what to expect. Yeah. You know. Matter of fact, I worked with uh, this sociologist. His name was Clinton Sanders, and he did a book called. Um, Customizing the body, which was a, a four-year study of the lack of information uh, on consumer information on tattooing, and I brought him into the tattooed world and in, and introduced him to people. And he uh, went around interviewing customers and tattoo artists. But this was a sociological study, yeah, and it was published by um, Temple University Press. Okay. So yeah. it's a it's That's, an academic yeah, press, yeah, yeah. you know, and. Uh, <clears throat> There was no information. You know, people would go into a tattoo shop and they'd sit there and a guy come out and go, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> you know, uh, sit down, shut up. You want that? Here, A1, that's going to be 100 bucks. Pay me now. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it was in those days, right? You'd have the Harley parked in the front with pieces laying around on the floor. There'd be a shotgun next to the, you know, the tattoo artist station and the Doberman chained to the corner. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you walk in there, you're like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get a tattoo. Yeah. I'm going to be tough. You know, I'm going to be tough and get a tattoo. And, uh, the first time I went to a tattoo shop and asked the guy how I could learn to tattoo, this was before I, Mike had committed to learning to tattoo. He opened up his jacket and he had a 38 in a, in a shoulder holster. And he said, I find out you're tattooing around here, kid. I'll blow your fucking head off. And I'm like, well, thank you very much. And <laughs> whoop, out the door. <laughs> okay, smokes. this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. Oof. It still seems like there's some remnants of that, that culture lingering about. You know? Oh, yeah. It never goes away. It's part of what we are. And you know what? I was lucky. I came into tattooing in the 70s. A lot of those old guys were still alive. And yeah. I got around, I traveled around, and I sat down with them. You know, I went to see old Doc Webb in San Diego. I actually went to San Diego, and then from San Diego, I had written a letter to Cliff Raven because I was looking at some titty magazine, and there he is, like, with all these women draped all over him, and there was pictures of his work. And I thought, oh, my God, this guy's He's like on another level, right? Yeah. So I begged him for a job, right? <laughs> and he's like, this is before I knew that, you know, he was into uh, the S&M gay scene. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, you don't want to work here. He said, look around and goes, see the guys with the asses hanging out of their chaps over there? You know, I said, I don't care if, it's, if they're gay or you're gay or whatever. As long as I don't have to play, I'm in, you know. I yeah. said, I'll wash your car, take care of your house or do whatever I have to do. But <laughs> You know, uh, I'm not going to jump in the pile. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he laughed and he said, so do you have artwork? And I showed him my portfolio was paintings and illustrations. And at the time I was doing these photorealistic drawings from old wedding pictures. And I was fucking with people's faces, like making their nose really big and uh, yeah. photoreal. Yeah. And he said, these are good pencil drawings. He said, uh, where are you living? I said, I'm in Manhattan. He, he picked up the phone and he called Spider Web. Oh, wow. And he said, 
Spider, he said, I got this kid in the chair. He does really good work. He wants to tattoo. You're going to hire him when he comes back. That was it. Wow. I swear. That's how I got my first job tattooing. Holy cow. I went over to Spider Web, you know, and that's how I got started, really. How was that? Because he's kind of another. Oh, my God. It was insane. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of another character. I'll you tell know, you two hours worth of stories there. <laughs> so I go to get interviewed by him, and he comes out. He's smoking a spliff that's like a white owl cigar, right? He's got a bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand. He's got this frilly shirt on with a velvet jacket. And, uh, <laughs> and he sits down in this chair, which was like his red overstuffed chair with all the stuffing coming out of it. Yeah. You know, The carpet was like when you walk on it, it would ball up. You know, you'd have to pull it to get it back down yeah. flat. And, I, and I'm sitting there, right? And he starts talking about, ah, you know, kid, uh, you ever hear of Chris Burden? And I'm like, uh, yeah, actually, I know Chris Burden. That's the greatest artist ever to live, and this and that, right? <laughs> so I'm like, wait a minute, Chris Burden, this is the guy that had himself crucified to a Volkswagen, right? <laughs> yeah. what? And he had himself shot with a 22 through the arm, right? Yeah. Then he put himself in a room with high tension wires three feet off the ground and stayed there for a week. Right? Oh, my God. That's some performance. Then he put right. himself in a room with wild wolves. <laughs> I said, you're telling me this guy's a great, that guy's got balls. This is great conceptual art. And I just looked at him. I said, that guy is an asshole with a death wish. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. You know what yeah. I mean? And he's like, oh, kid, you know, well, do you know this and that, right? And he leans back in the chair, right? And he's, he kind of goes into a little bit of a nod. And I'm sitting there like, this is it? What the fuck's happening now? So, I said, spider, spider. And he's like, mm, like that. Right? So I went over and I took the joint out of his hand. I put it in the ashtray and I left. <laughs> I went home. I took a fucking train out to Yonkers, you know, from Manhattan. And I'm like, oh, this was a waste of time. Next day, he called me back. You're really funny, kid. He goes, you got the job. And I'm like, what? Really? Okay. I'm funny. Oh, all right, dude. Thanks for saving my spliff. <laughs> so he, comes, he comes in to work right and he's got this girl working there her name was ellen he called her original sin he had to give everybody a nickname a name yeah, yeah. <laughs> well my name is shotzi that's it dude you know. <laughs> so uh he said ellen's gonna be here you're gonna work and you're gonna give her the vig and you know you take your percentage and every day she's gonna lock up and and i said well you're gonna be here you're gonna be helping me out right i mean you're gonna be teaching me and well, actually, I'm building a house in Woodstock. He said, I'm not going to be around for a while. I was like, what? Well, I report the work the next day, you know, my little Spalding and Rogers Supreme and my oh, right on. Yeah. You know, bought bag of four colors. And I go in and uh, <clears throat> Ellen's like, okay, you know, this is what you do. People are going to come in. You just chat them up. And we got all this flash and all this stuff. And so this kid comes in and he's like, I want a tattoo from Spiderweb. Excuse me. And I said, uh, well, I'm sorry, but Spider's out of town. But I can help you out. Tell me what you need. You know, now nah, I want spider web out the door. Next one, same thing, more, more, more. I'm sitting there for like a week, like with my hand on my butt, right? Doing uh. nothing. So a kid comes in, he goes, two guys are like, we want a tattoo from Spider Web. And I said, I'm Spider Web. <laughs> <laughs> so I tattooed them, right? So uh. now I'm trying to make money. And it's like I'm six weeks before he came back. So I had a bag of money to give him, you know, like, yeah. it's like what, what I earned, you know, 
Oh, you did really good, kid. You know, man, 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 man. We're sitting there, and I'm like, "You're gonna help me out now because I got pigment shooting out of the top of the tube, and oh, I can't tune the fucking machine, and I, I don't understand how come my fucking you know line work isn't clean, and this and that." And, and he sits down, and we're sitting in the couch, you know, and the red chair is there, and two guys come in, right, and they go, "We want to get a tattoo from Spider Web." So he stands up, goes, "Yeah, how you doing? I'm Spider Web." They're like, "No, we want that Spider Web." <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh-oh. <laughs> He's looking at me. He goes, what the fuck do you mean? I'm Spiderweb, you know? So he fired me. <laughs> he fired me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> my experience with Spiderweb. Oh, but I did that. You know, uh, actually, it was a little time when he was there, so I made it, I left it out. But he was friends with Al Goldstein, who wrote, who published Screw Magazine, which was a newspaper, a porn newspaper, which covered the porn scene. So all these porn stars would be in there. Uh, and Annie Sprinkle was always in there. You know, I don't know if you know her, but she's now a San Francisco regular, but she was in New York at the time. She did a lot of P movies, so they called her Annie Sprinkle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she did a lot of good sex movies and uh, they were all in and out yeah and then there was this guy uh mark ten and a half inch stevens who was gonna marry uh this guy who was becoming a woman and he was flying to um to finland or somewhere in scandinavia to get these operations right yeah. and every time he'd have something done where like they chopped off his testicles or whatever they did, he'd come back to the tattoo shop and they were taking photographs and playing music. And, and I'm sitting there like, what the hell, you know, and he split his penis in half and they shoved it up inside of him. And, you know, this is what's happening. Right. Yeah. I had to tattoo this guy's name as Mrs. You know, Mark right. Stevens uh, and his name of, uh, triple x underneath it i tattooed mark 10 and a half inch stevens and then they were all hanging out in there you know and then one day spider uh had released uh, you know pushing ink and he's like come on i'm gonna go over to this restaurant this italian restaurant and you go there and there's like 20 of us sitting at a big long table and this woman comes in and she's dressed up like really finely dressed right and she's got big pearls and they're real you know you can see everything she had on it was real she goes to the end of the table takes off her little jacket gets on the floor and goes under the table so i'm thinking well maybe she's giving spider head or something you know and i'm like under the table looking around and she's licking people's shoes and she's making her way around the table <laughs> and she comes over to me i'm like get the hell out of here <laughs> I'm like, Spider, what's the story with this girl? And all the you know, the porn stars are all laughing and shit. They're like, yeah, she comes around once in a while. Usually we lock her in the closet for a few days and turn her loose. Jeez. And she's happy. You know, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I wonder what would happen if you took a tattooer fresh out of the air quote school nowadays and dropped them back then what they would do. So before before actually Spider left, we got a, we had this guy come in. I'm not going to bore you with too many stories. No, 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 no. These stories are fantastic. Thank you. So the guy comes in. He's dressed up, and you know it's a Savile Row suit, and the guy is wearing like a two thousand dollar suit, right? Yeah. Very Nordic looking, six foot two, blue eyes, blonde hair. And he's, can I talk to you privately? And I'm like, you can talk to me. There's nobody here. You know, what can I do for you? He's like, I want to get my testicles tattooed, like my ball sack. He goes, but I want it polka dotted. And I'm like, uh, okay. He goes, yeah, yeah but I, I don't want the polka dots to be black. I want the background to be black and the polka dots to be skin. 
And I'm like, Spider, <laughs> <laughs> this guy wants to talk to you, you know? This little spider comes out and he's like, yeah, sure, 7,000, just like that, right? The guy's like, yeah, fine. So he comes back and now Ellen got gloves on. I have gloves on. I'm on one side, Ellen's on the other. And we're stretching this guy's scrotum sack from here to here, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The spider's in there like, rah, you know, <laughs> flying everywhere. And the guy's getting like almost erect and then, Blasted again, and he's getting almost erect like this. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was like, I think that's spider. I said, if this guy ejaculates, I fucking quit right here. Right <laughs> that's not all of it. About uh, a month later, he comes back and he wants his penis, the shaft of his penis, done like with railroad track pattern. And then he goes away. Spider didn't need any help with that one. Uh, so then he goes away and he comes back and uh, he comes back a couple of weeks later and he wants the head of his penis tattooed like a plum. Purpley plum. Yeah. And the last time he came back, he said to P Spider, I don't like the fact that you can see pink if you open up the head of my penis. I want you to tattoo on down into my urethra. Oh, no. Wow. I had to go outside. I got yeah. all lightheaded. And I, I thought yeah. I was going to throw up, you know, yeah. I'm like I said, Spider, you know damn well this ain't tattooing, man. This is sex, right? This is like, this yeah. is sex. And I thought, what am I in for here? And then yeah. he was like, and he split, disappeared. Yeah. Wow. That's that's kind of wild. I, I remember, like, when I first came in, I think it was kind of the tail end of like, that generation. The guy who had trained me, and air quote around that one as well, he'd been tattooing for 20-something years, you know, towards the turn of the century. And uh the clientele and the client base that we had was much different than what we see now. I remember the first time I seen like a, a two sisters walk in that were, you know, 60 something years old. It was right after like the, the TV shows started to come out and they were talking about getting, you know, some little cherry Creek flash or something like that. I was like, you need to get out of here. This is a dangerous place. Like this is yeah. not okay. And they're like, what do you mean on the TV shows? It's all, I'm like, that's not this place. You need to go. There's a dude shooting up in the back. There's guns downstairs. <laughs> if you knew what happened in here, man. And, and that was the same thing too. Like back, back when I started, it didn't matter what was brought in. You had to tattoo it. Like you are yeah. a technician. You're like a doctor, a surgeon. Don't make it fucking weird. Do your job. Your right. clients are going to make it weird and that's okay. You can tell them <laughs> to get fucked, but you can't be weird. I didn't know. I thought in my head it was this, this rose colored, I get to be an artist type of thing when I first got in. And it was like in the first week, I was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Yeah. I was terrified. Like I had to get hardened really quick. It was like the first week in jail or something, you know, where you're like, all right, cool, man. <laughs> Let's just make sure I can actually get some friggin' sleep. I had like nightmares, you know, the first tattoo I did was a Celtic knotwork piece on, on the, you know, chest of this big, scary biker guy. And I'm not a fucking scary guy at all. Right. And, uh, you know, the old speed stick, you know, little cube, wipe it on, slap the stencil, peel it off, throw it in the tray. And I go and I run my first line. I give it a wipe instead of a dab. I wipe the whole fucking thing off. Right? It's just <laughs> one line. And that dude looked down at his chest, looks at me, looked down at his chest. He says, you got this? Yep. No problem. That's supposed to happen. I fucking free this. <laughs> A Celtic, you free-handed a Celtic. Uh, yeah, it's like a pot wow. fish level, you know. That's very, uh, very, very impressive. <laughs> oh, it took it took like five and a half hours for a thirty-five minute tattoo. <laughs> Before I went to California, I went into this one tattoo shop looking to get a job, and uh, 
they, there was a lot of bikers outside and you know i go in and i'm like you know i'm a tattoo artist and i show them my portfolio of drawings and they're like well can you tattoo and i'm like yeah he goes well tattoo this guy and they bring over this totally sloshed you know polish biker dude and he wants the german uh eagle military yeah. eagle tattooed on his ass and i'm like you really want to do this and he's like what do you mean i said well just think about what the Nazis did to the Poles, you know, I mean, you're going to get the German military Eagle. So they didn't have a bench or a lay down table or anything. They had him bend over a chair with his pants <laughs> down to his ankles. And he wants me to tattoo this on the cheek of his ass. So he's got his ass in my face. Yeah. And the Bundestag Eagle is all straight lines. Yeah. Know, yeah. And I start tattooing and I'm like, you know, I started breaking into a sweat. I said, I got to go to the bathroom. And I went in the bathroom. There's all this KKK. Join the KKK oh, no. signs and, you know, like applications and stuff in the bathroom. And oh. I thought, oh, no way in hell I'm going to work here. And I came out and the owner's looking at it. He goes, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, do you? I said, well, uh, this is only about my third tattoo. <laughs> nice. And he's oh, like, okay, well, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jeez. Cheesy, 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 crazy. That's that's wild. I I've had uh, people approach me a few times with like you know like hate symbols or things like this. And I'm like, what? Like, get, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I used to get that all the time. Well, I you know when I tattooed in Union City, I started getting a reputation, and I started getting all these skinhead dudes. Yeah, a lot of them were neo Nazis, right? Racist neo Nazis. They want screwdriver. You know the the band which was a neo-nazi band and i'd be like no way man i'm not doing that shit they're like we'll burn your place to the ground man we're gonna do this we're gonna like get the fuck out you know i uh, took my baseball bat out and made sure they understood <laughs> that it's wild but yeah you comparing the the industry as it is today i guess just like the empathy of it versus back then like how, how much has changed oh you know, it's unrecognizable yeah. All the guys my age are pissing and moaning. You know, they're all like, I don't even know what this is anymore. Everybody's still tattooing with those dildos, you know, this and yeah. that. I'm like, I got news for you. I use rotaries, you know. Yeah. Okay, I've been tattooing for 45 years. My hands from using a, a, a iron machine with a one, out, a one inch stainless steel grip of 16 ounces in my hand. Yeah. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I couldn't close my hands. Yes. You know, they'd be like, I used to go to acupuncturists and I started getting all this trouble was my thumb would collapse. And I couldn't yeah. hold things, you know, and I thought this sucks. And one day somebody handed me a rotary and I said, I don't want to work with a rotary. I tried some in England and you know, those days they didn't have a stroke up and down. They went in like this and out no, like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the line work was always fuzzy and shitty. Yeah. So said, I'm not going to work with that. And they're like, no, give this a try. So I gave it a try. And it was a uh, it was a one from Germany. Um, it's a Cheyenne. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had a little screw on the top, which you control the uh, stroke and all that. And I was doing this big outline, big fat outline. This guy, like a fourteen loose needle outline. Oh <laughs> shit! Yeah. And I was just <laughs> and the, the, the screw popped out, and the machine popped. <laughs> <right there. laughs> and it went up in smoke. I give it back to the guy. I said, that's not working anymore. Uh, <laughs> Where's the screw? I don't know. I said, it blew off somewhere. <laughs> but uh, it was years later that um, uh, it turned on to the Bishop Rotary. Franco was kind enough to give me one to try out. And I've been hooked ever since. You know, That's great. Yeah. 
And I'll tell you what, the thing weighs, the new one weighs four ounces with a battery. I'm not tethered to a clip cord anymore and yeah. a control. I'm like, this is heaven, you know, yeah. this is heaven. And I got, you know, like <laughs> Dana Brunson making fun of me. What are you doing with that dildo? This and that, you know, I'm like, dude, <laughs> if you were smart, you'd be using one of these, you know, it's like, yeah. I'm going to hear this old school bullshit. That's why these young kids. I say, yeah, how you doing? You know, I'm Chauncey Gormis. Not, yeah, well, I'm so-and-so. I'm a traditional tattoo artist. I, I only tattoo <laughs> historical tattooing. And I was looking at him, and I said, motherfucker, I am history. <laughs> <laughs> I've been tattooing fucking longer than you're alive. <laughs> and I work with a rotary, and I'll tattoo creative, original stuff. And anything uh, yeah. is like... Yeah, there's always going to be that gatekeeping, I guess, throughout everything as people are trying, like we had said earlier, right? They're trying to identify by ignoring, right? Trying to create their own identity. They've, they've got to like lock that down. Can you say what's different? What's different is that there was, oh God, I, I hate to admit this, but I was part of the reason. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did TV a lot in the 80s, right? Uh, All through the 80s, I did every major talk show except for Oprah. Oh, wow. And I'd have to go on. I have videos of all this stuff. And uh, actually, it was all on the VHS. Now I had it all nice. digitized. So. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I would go on there and I would harp on the fact that tattooing is an art form, you know, and there's no reason it should be banned. And there's no reason that, you know, and talk, give history lectures and go to universities, give history lectures on tattooing and push, 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 push. And I used to get death threats every day. You know, guys would call me on the phone to be like, we're going to fuck come there and kill you, man. You can't be talking about what we do on TV. You know, this is a secret society. And and I'm like, fuck off, you know. Yeah. And then when I finally opened up a big shop in uh, Wayne, New Jersey, you know, I had six stations, a 2,000 square foot shop on a three, a six lane highway. The health department was talking about coming down with all these crazy laws. And so I was one of the founders and helped to write the bylaws for the Alliance of Professional Tattoo Artists. Uh, I drove headfirst in there. And not only that, but I started a, um, a group of people in New Jersey that met with the head of the health department of the state of New Jersey. And we set down a set of standards and practices for tattooing in New Jersey. You should have seen my mail then. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't be talking to these guys. I said, hey, here's what they want to do. They want you to wear a gown, a face mask. The tattoo booth has to be all uh, tile, has to have a drain in the middle. And you have to hose the whole place down after doing a tattoo. I said, they think we're doing major surgery in here. Yeah. And I was on Morton Downey Jr. show. Oh, wow. Mouth, and he had two doctors on. And he... I started talking and I started like putting my two cents in. And he said, during the break, he came over to me, he goes, I'm, I'm leaving your mic on. Normally he said, I control the mics, who talks, who doesn't. You can jump in there anytime you want. So these doctors start, you know, talking about how dangerous tattooing is and hepatitis. And, uh, and I, so I said, can you tell me how a tattoo is done? How is it actually applied? Well, they take a, a hollow needle and they inject, inject pigment into the skin. I, was, <laughs> I said, you ever hear the phrase, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know? Yeah. And from there, I guess went on and I went on this tirade, right? And when I got that show hit the air and I went back to the shop, man, there was just a hundred people outside. 
waiting wow. to get tattooed. And I thought, uh-oh, this is the move. You know, this yep. is the thing you do. So I did Sally Jesse Raphael twice, you know, and I did Geraldo Rivera twice. And I did them all. Good day, good good morning, New York, and AM Philadelphia. And then I became the um, – Pat Sinatra and I became the public relations people for the National Tattoo Club. Yeah, yeah. And we, we kind of – push them into changing it to association. And I was trying to get them to hire lawyers and people to come in and talk about the bans across the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah. There were, you know, there were six States still illegal when I started that when I started tattooing. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't tattoo in six States completely. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it was a long, hard road. You know what I mean? I had to go to court everywhere I opened up. It wasn't like I could just go in and make a deal with the landlord. You know, I, I, we went into one place and the, we went in to get a business license and the woman behind the desk said, well, you have to fill this out and triple it. And it was all these papers. And she threw them on the floor. Wow. <laughs> she said, we don't want no disgusting tattoo shop in our town. And I'm like, well, I got news for you. You don't have an ordinance against yeah. tattooing. So we're a business and we're going to open up in town. We already have made a deal with the landlord and so on. And we'll fill out the paperwork and go through the process. The next day, they held a meeting of the emergency meeting of the town council, and they banned tattooing. So I had to go to court because the ban was put in after I applied. <laughs> oh, you get grandfathered in. That's actually well, that's great. Well, no, I, didn't, I didn't want to get grandfathered in. I wanted uh, to beat them down, and I did. Yeah. Like, I had to be ten G's. Oh wow! To win, but I won. And yeah. then a tattoo shop opened up right across the street from me <laughs> yeah. for 150 bucks for a license uh, and i put out 10 g's you know what what happened with your association with the the apt and the the nta at the time uh, i just decided to step out of the apt because at the time it was in its infancy yeah. there was some controversy and some money disappeared you know and uh, uh, and then one of the people that was involved with it called me on the phone and said, I'm not going to give any names here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we don't do names We're starting show. another corporation, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to go around to each state and go to the health department and meet with the state officials. And people, when they go to open up tattoo shops, are going to have to go through our teaching, our classes. So we're going to become like the Board of Beauty Culture, which yeah. is not a state-run business. It's an independent, for-profit thing. And I, I said, what? <laughs> you want me to do this so that we're going to tell people who we have all these new ways to tattoo. We're going to go into their state and then the state's going to tell them they have to take our classes. No, thank you. Uh, I said, you're going to be dead. You know, they're going to find you like in an alley somewhere. First yeah. of all, I said, it's the wrong headed move. Let's move a little slower. We've got a lot of guys that have been tattooing 25, 30 years here that don't know about proper sterilization and, you know, they just don't know. And this is what they need to be educated on. And I, and I said, okay, so I had to get my lawyer to send that person a letter saying, take my name off that corporate yeah. paper, you know, and that's why I stepped away. Yeah. And it was some of the personal stuff too, you know, at the time, but I stepped away and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. And now my last apprentice, uh, Mick O'Han, uh, is the vice president of yeah. uh, APT and he owns my shop now in Wayne. Oh, right on. Right and on. I go there and I'm doing guest spots in a shop that I built <laughs> by hand. I did the concrete floor. I built the walls, put in the sliding doors. And, uh, you know, and I look around there. I'm like, oh my God, I did this. I did that. Yeah. Surreal, very man. weird experience. Yeah. You know, I was out of there 17 years. 
and I'm going back and doing guest spots. But, you know, this, I jump around here, but uh, the APT was the right thing to do. Yeah. And it is the right thing to do, especially now with the new legislation. It's already been passed. Yeah. There needs to be professionals handling the negotiations on these things, you know, and they're going to yeah. be the ones to do it. So the APT is something I think all professional tattoo artists should join, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think that there needs to be just better communication. It's like if we look across the board now, everything is so polarized and everything is so political. You know, I, I consider myself well, that's a political. Yeah. yeah, that's you identify either through your religion or through your politics, like wherever you go, you know, and it seems such a big step backwards, like from, you know, like how you're describing tattooing back in the day is kind of this bohemian disaster, you know, which is just it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. You know, but the thing was, they needed to have controls because there were guys that, you know, you'd go to their shop. I went to a tattoo shop and the guy had a, a gallon jug of Vaseline and he reached in there and he slopped it on the client, you know, and he's working and then he wiped it off with his hand and he reached back in the jar and I looked into the jar and there was a pool of blood yeah. in the middle of the jar. And I said, you realize that that's a hepatitis soup that you're creating there? Like you're going to kill this guy if, if he gets sick? Yeah. Oh, fuck you, man. You're going to tell me how to tattoo. I've been tattooing, you know, longer than you're alive. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Thank you. Yeah. Out the door, you know, but that's the way it was. You go in there and guys would be having shots on the table and smoking joints and tattooing, you know, with big tech cigarette with a granny ash hanging off of yeah, it, you yeah. know, tattooing over the guy and the fucking glasses held together with duct tape and shit, working with bare feet, shorts. Yeah. That's wild. That's the way it was, you know, and that needed to change. Yeah. Because uh, we were headed to a disaster, you yeah. know, and the health department was zooming in on it. Mm -hmm. And the American Medical Association was doing big research on the effects of uh, mercury and the tattoo pigment at the yeah. time and stuff like that. So it was really coming to a head. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. by the 90s, you know, it was hot. It was yeah. hot. You either did something or they were going to start banging us up all over the place. So I stepped up and, man, did I take a lot of grief. Yeah. I, I remember reading about uh, and even seeing some stuff in Portland when I was younger there was a retraction, like there started to be a lot of pullback. I could see a lot of shops closing or regulations being passed for more control that had no real idea about how anything was being run. It was like a panic. It was like a bank run, right? Trying to trying to shut everything down. Um, I remember even when I started tattooing, tattooing was still illegal in some places in the United yeah. States. Yeah, so what, what happened was the American um, Liver Association yeah. published a paper that said that <clears throat> They felt that um, me, uh, people that do pedicures, people who do pedicures and tattoo artists were the major source of the distribution of hepatitis in the United States. Yeah. This came out as like, a, you know, like one of their blue papers. This is it. We're, we're saying this is the source. No and that shit. government like made them white hot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, we, we had a fight against that, you know, and. You know, in those, and, and, and even in the eighties, you know, if I went, if I went to a diner, let's say, and I sat down at a short sleeve shirt on, and people would be sitting at the counter, they'd pull their kids away from me. You know, yeah, yeah, and they move over one or something. You know, like, uh, okay, it's the eighties, right? I mean, yeah. come on, you know, but that's the way it was, and I caught flack because I had, I was heavily tattooed, and they, they couldn't yeah. accept. And I, I'm a poet and a writer. Yeah. And I show up at these poetry events and they'd be like, 
you're what you're you're a poet yeah let's do all the tattoos <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> this I'm a writer. is for writer books only, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's strange bedfellows, but you know, not anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now I see guys going down the street with sleeves, and I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, "Wow, this guy must be in the business." And I'm yeah. like, "Oh, wait, you know, <laughs> wait, a yeah. minute. it's 2023. Uh, that kid works in the you know coffee shop. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got full sleeves. His face is tattooed. And, I know." The face tattoo thing, it, it's kind of, it's wild to me. It's like a, I'm seeing society do a massive pendulum swing back because like when I used to travel and I've, I've settled down since I've had my kids, but every time I get into a town for guest spot when I'm rolling through the country, I'd always just drive through the city and see how many people had tattoos. And that would kind of tell me if this is going to be easy to build a quick clientele over the two, three weeks that I'm there or not. And some of the most obscure places I'm seeing people with sleeves. So it's like 2010. I'm like, what in the frick? Like Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah. Heavily tattooed, right? Like Columbus, Ohio, heavily tattooed. What's like places in uh, in Canada, no tattoos. <laughs> Maine, yeah. not a whole lot. I'm like, oh, this just doesn't make any sense to me, you know? But I, I see it still the same way. I mean, past the past deal, I got a neck rocker in my hand done and I wear long sleeves until I get the sleeve finished up. Right. But it's just, uh, it's really weird. Like, I did, do you sense that as well? Like maybe like this is an overcorrection one way now with things or. No, I don't think it's an overcorrection. I think what it is, um, it's part of, well, it's part of youth culture, right? So they're saying, up yours, you know, I'm going to be as antisocial as I possibly could be, except that they're not, you know, rolling up on a, you know, a Harley dressed out, you know, they're, they're rolling up on their skateboard and, uh, you know, they're, they're working for minimum wage and they're spending all their money and they're going to get their face. You know, I had a young kid call me not too long ago, you know, it was like probably three years ago. He called me and he goes, I want to come and get this beautiful rose of senior flowers. I really like what you're doing and this and that. And he took a bus in from Santa Rosa. I was working in Sonoma and he comes into the shop and he said, so I want to get this tattoo. Well, great. Yeah. You know, you, I showed him photographs of roses. There's a particular one that you like and all that. And he goes, well, yeah. So where are we going with this? He goes, I want it in the back of my hand. I was like, I looked at him. He's just 18, three days before. Yep. I said, what kind of, you know, what other tattoos do you have? He said, oh, this is my first tattoo. And I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to go all dad on you now, you know. I'm not tattooing your hand. Yeah. I said, if you want to get other tattoos and you run out of room, I'll tattoo your hand if you absolutely want to. I said, but are you, like, independently wealthy? He's like, no. I said, well, you're not going to get a job, you know. <laughs> so they call him, and now they do it ironically. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do a job killer today, you see, tattoo artists. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing a job killer today, tattooing somebody's hands. And, yeah. you know, years ago, I tattooed this girl. She was a, a receptionist at a really posh hair salon back in the 70s. And she wanted this wedding ring, right? And I said, look, I don't tattoo hands. And she wanted a little crucifix on the top of it kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so her, her girlfriend was a friend of mine. She goes, you got to do it, please. You got to help her out. Nobody wants to do it. And so I said, all right, I'll do it, you know. About a week later, she showed up. She got fired. She had a Band-Aid on her finger until the thing healed, took yeah. the Band-Aid off, and it, her boss saw it and just said, that's it. You're gone. She worked there for like 10 years as a receptionist. Wow. And just fired her. And that was it for me. I thought, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
but it's different today. You know, you see kids with tattoos on their faces and hands and they're working at places. Yeah. And the other culture has changed, but it's, um, you know, you know I, I, I don't know where to really begin with this, but I would have to say this, that, okay, so when I started tattooing, if I said to a guy, oh, you want me to do this like Viking warrior on you? He goes, what do I look like? A queer? Yeah. I'm getting a guy tattooed on me. I'm not getting a guy tattooed on me. I want a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's that? <laughs> you know, that's a guy, right? Uh, you know, I want a wizard. Or I want a, you know, a Pegasus. But then what happens is that like in our culture, in America, yeah. anything that has real value gets monetized and yeah. it gets homogenized and it gets mixed up, right? And before you know it, uh, Pegasus becomes a pegacorn, a winged horse with a horn. Well, I got news yeah. for you. Those are, that's a mix-up. That's not the real thing. And they yeah. go out there. Well, yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to do that because Pegasus represents this. You know, a unicorn represents that. They have no idea what the hell that is. And then they come in and want quotes. And, you know, a guy comes in and he wants a quote. Oh, uh, you know, a quote from George Santiana about how if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. I said, first of all, that's not what he said. <laughs> you know, I said, this is what he said. And he said, it's it's credited to Albert Einstein. I wanted to say by Albert Einstein. I said, whoa. That's so I take him over to the computer and I'm like, look, this is the quote, the actual quote. And it's from a philosopher named George Santiana. Yeah. And he said, I don't care. I want it this way. I said, you want me to write it wrong and credit it to Albert Einstein, even though now you know? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. I'm like, okay, there's the door. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. he went to another tattoo shop and he had oh, it done. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, sit down. You know, there's six guys waiting there, like panting dogs. You know what I remember? <laughs> I worked in a, in a mom's tattoo when I first went to San Francisco because I just needed a gig when I yeah. got there. Right? And no one would hire me. That's another story. Yeah. Uh. Now, I was overqualified. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm working at mom's, <laughs> you know, and it's like, you remember that show about the hookers, uh, the ranch, the, what was it called? The something ranch, you know, where all the hookers would run up front when the guys would come in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the they were in Las Vegas. The, the bunny ranch. Yeah. The bunny ranch. And they all come out and they line up, you know, and they kind of got their glass shoes on with goldfish in it. And <laughs> hanging out. And and it's just like that in the tattoo shop in San Francisco. One person comes through the door and everybody runs up to them. Like six oh, guys yeah. are in line and they're panting and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Take a look at my book. Take a look at my book. You know, and yeah. I'm like, don't you have some rules in this fucking place? Yeah. Like, Lord of the Flies. Uh, <laughs> the oldest guy here gets the first job, you know, or the yeah. first guy through the door at work in the morning, or the guy who has the most time in the shop, yeah. and then they, you split out the walk-ins. But no, it was just like you all know, run up and start flashing your boobs and stuff. And I thought this is really weird, man. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. But that's the way it was, you know. That's why I, I keep thinking. So I, that was the beginning, right? I mean, you know, you were like the beginning of this. I mean, I go to, I visit tattoo shops now and there's 15 people working in one shop Yeah, yeah. and they put up lay down benches. You can't even get to the bathroom. You can't do anything. It's like, what if there's a fire? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you know, back door's got a big lock on it. You know, and it's like, 
wait a minute, how are all these people making a living? Well, they're working shifts and this guy only does this kind of work and that guy only does this kind of, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Made no sense to me, you know, but then I've been pretty stubborn and, you know, I was pretty arrogant when I was young and I just didn't put any flash up. I was like, uh, no flash. People would come in the shop and they go, is this a haircutting salon? Or a haircutting salon? <laughs> you know? No, we just, we just do our own artwork here. Yeah. The, I remember the, the pivot towards the full custom shops happened in, in my like tattoo lifetime so far. And I thought it was really weird because there was like this very strict designation with the street shops you walked. It was a very strict vibe, you know, and you have like the beginner shops where it's like behind a head shop, you know, it's kind of like tucked back at certain places and you walk into a full custom shop and they're always themed. You'd have the Asian inspired one, you know, the, right. and it, it was really interesting. And now everything is, like you said, homogenized. It's all been created. Yeah. I, I keep, keep wondering mash-ups. if there's. They call them mashups. Mashups. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm wondering if it's that loss of apprenticeship. You know what I mean? Where there's there has no, I don't been. Think so. I just think it's an American cultural thing. It's just it's culture. It's, it's just yeah. because nothing means anything. Nothing has value. Nothing has history. It's just what's happening right now, right at the moment. You know, yeah. and especially with the 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 the, in, the advent of the internet. Yeah, it's like nothing. You know. People go online now to shop for tattoos and they walk in, they stick their phone in your face and they're like, I want this tattoo. And I'm like, well, that's already somebody's tattoo. <laughs> you are like, so, but I want it. Well, I'm sorry, but you know, that artist drew it up for that tattoo person and he, they collected it. They went through the process and it means something to them. It's got nothing to do with you. Uh-huh. Well, I like it. Well, I'm not doing it. Uh-huh. And then it's a, Drive up the road 10 minutes that way, there's another tattoo shop. Then drive up 10 minutes that way, there's another tattoo shop. And they'll just do, they'll put that on your forehead if that's what you want. But I'm not going to do it. And they're like, I got this money. I got this money. And I'm like, shove that money up your butt. You know, I'm not doing it. I don't need your money, you know, because I have a set of ethics. I started out tattooing in the 70s. I learned from some of the old men. And I know that you don't put a tattoo on upside down. What's wrong with you? You should get the shit beat out of you for putting a tattoo on upside down. Honestly, <laughs> really, the, what the hell? Starting to sleeve for at the me, wrist. you know. You know uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So we're in this like ultimately narcissistic culture where people send pictures of the into the internet of everything they eat. Yeah. It's like, what is that all about? You know, <laughs> I I don't want to see what you had for lunch. You know, what the hell? I want the tattoo and I want it written in pig Latin upside down so I can see it, you know, like, oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> like starting a sleeve at the wrist and working up. Never got that. I, I, I never understand it. And I, but I, I mean, I never understand why artists. Yeah. Sorry, there's a train going by here. It's yeah, like yeah. Hot Works Express over here in New York. No train that goes by and all the tourists get on it, pay some stupid amount of money to drive for 10 minutes up and down. <laughs> and it always blows its horn every time it hits across the street. Uh, uh, At any rate, uh, you know, and I go to tattoo shops and I do guest spots and I see guys that have been tattooing 30 years. Uh, oh, I want this Ganesha, you know, and then they go, they show it to him and they're like, no, I want it the other way. And they're like, okay. Like that. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know that's wrong, right? Yeah. But that's what they want. Yeah. You know, and if I don't give it to them, they're going to go to the guy across the street. 
and they'll want your name upside down. You know, they all started from uh, these pop stars, especially like these uh, rap stars. I can't think of her name, but she got uh, something like breathe tattooed on her upside down. So she would remember to breathe. You're going to fucking die if you don't fucking breathe. What do you mean? <laughs> You know, why do you need a fucking, you know, recording of it? You know, breathe. All oh, right, breathe. And I thought, that's, that's a fucking good. job. Right? Yeah. It ends up on, on the internet, and then all these kids are lining up. I want breathe written upside down. No, fuck off. I'm not uh, doing it. You know, I don't really say fuck off. I just yeah, say, yeah, yeah. the whole world's going to be looking at the going, well, what does that say? And you got yeah. your upside down tattoo, and they're going to be going, what, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't care. It's just for me. Well, it's not for me. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. That's the way it goes. And a lot of guys look at me and they go, you're crazy. You're passing up all this work. And, uh, and you know, then there's always that aspect of tattooing where, like you said in the beginning, you know, you're working in a place and they said, this is what you're going to tattoo. You tattooed it, you know. Yeah. And now it's like, you want it upside down? You want shit written on your forehead in Old English? Okay, sit down. Yeah. The consequences to that person's life are huge. Yeah. And I always sat down with my employees and my apprentices and I said, you have a real responsibility here. You're going to change that person's life. Yeah. You're going to make their identity completely different yeah. than it was before. Yeah. And you better think about that responsibility. You want to go home at night thinking you wrote shit on some kid's forehead. Yeah. Where is he gone? You know, yeah. he's a future suicide case. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, but now people laugh at me. They go, "Well, you know, who are you to tell people what they can get and what they can't get?" I said, "I don't tell them what they can and can't get. I just won't do it." Yeah. Yeah. You can go ahead and get shit on your forehead all you want, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go home at night feeling I accomplished something today. Yeah. I did a good. I did good work. You know. Uh, and they fail to understand that. What is the nature of tattooing? It's a rite of passage ritual. That's what it is. It's not some joke. You know, and I see guys have been tattooing a long time saying, oh, who cares? Tattoos have no meaning. Well, that's yeah. bullshit. They yeah. have meaning. They come from a historical place. They come from this culture or that culture. What, you think you just emerged out of nowhere? Yeah. You know, and this is about not knowing about whose shoulders you're standing on. Yeah. You know, you got these guys coming in getting Borneo warrior tattoos that symbolize how many people they killed and they're getting these tattoos and i'm like do you have any idea what that is oh, it's tribal tattooing yeah well what tribe i don't know <laughs> well you're an american for christ's sake what do you like italian a german you know we're all mutts right but this is i mean I, i'm not one of these like new agers who goes around saying all right this is uh cultural you know appropriation like appropriation yeah, yeah, yeah. Appropriation. I don't believe in that. I think that there are cultures that have power and their myths and their stories have power. And if this becomes something that you want to create that has this meaning attached to it, I'm in there. You know, I'm Personal. with you. That's you know, subjective. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like, yeah, I want to get this. You know how many guys get Hanya tattoos? And I say, you know what that is? It's the devil. No, it's not. <laughs> not the devil it's a, yeah. a japanese folk tale and it's a woman they're like what i'm like it's a woman you know oh and i tell them the story and they walk out with their mouths out yeah yeah I've i saw that. the last convention and a big one on his chest he even had a shirt with a hanya on it you know and he had no idea what the hell it was yeah i i found myself actually doing that a lot now with and, and 
everyone I work with has called me kind of crazy for taking the time to do it, but I spend so much time on the front end, educating, talking. And like one of the first things we always do is we got to answer stupid questions with this tattoo. And those are things that you don't, you're not thinking about. You're going to be thinking about the process, the pain, the healing. And then after that, you're going to forget that you have it, even if you know that you have it, because it's going to become a part of you. But every time that you interact with someone from there forward, and they're going to ask you a stupid question. It's going to degrade the utility of that tattoo, right? So let's answer all of the stupid questions right now and think about how this is going to go and what's going to happen in the future and just expand our mind a little bit rather than just jumping in. You You're know? a dad. Yeah. That's what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> what the fuck are you, my dad? Yeah. Yes, I'm being your dad right now. I'm telling you that you're 18 years old. And if you get that tattoo, you're going to regret it and you're going to be sorry. And then, you know what? You're going to have to go somewhere and get it covered up. Yeah. It's life <laughs> is hard. Why make it harder? Yeah. But the thing is that today it's, it's, uh, it's a pass. It's like you get a pass without tattoos, you know, you want to be, uh, I mean, well, of course, tattooing has always been to identify with a particular layer of the culture. You know, if yeah. you were a biker, you got biker tattoos. And, you know, uh, if you think about the history of it, like I have to tell people all the time, uh, when I started tattooing, there'll be articles in the paper said tattoos, you know, the realm of criminals, bikers and drunken sailors. Yeah. Well, that's what it was. Right. And I have news for you. Uh, if, if you want to identify with a particular part of the culture, they had a series of tattoos that you did. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know the history of it. Criminals tattooed themselves. Yes. But how did that get started? It got started because the government started to tattoo criminals to mark them permanently. Yeah. People would know that they were criminals. Yeah. In Japan, you would get the ideogram of the word dog. And if you got yeah. busted for stealing, they would put yep. this mark on your forehead, right? Yep. And then if you got busted for stealing again, they put the next part of it. And then eventually it would say dog. And then you were treated like a dog. Oh. You weren't a human anymore. You were dehumanized. The Greeks, they marked their their slaves with tattoos, yep. ownership. You know, so all – and the French um, used tattoos to mark criminals and – it's a long history of it. And in Japan, they would tattoo criminal marks on the inside of their arms. This is one of the reasons why the Japanese full body suits leave this open. It's open because you want to show that there is no criminal mark there. But by the same token, if you're going to be Yakuza, you better be tattooed. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're wow. going to get tattooed. Because Yakuza, and the reason that the Yakuza get tattooed I'm not going to go into a history lesson yeah, here. Go for it. Yeah, this is. It's because the Yakuza is a right wing mafia. All mafias are right wing. Yeah. You know, when, when the American general got kidnapped by the Red Brigade in Italy, they didn't go to the cops. They went to the local don and they yeah. said, they kidnapped our guy. Boom. Two days later, the guy is back, right? You know, because the mafia is nationalistic right wing. That's who they are. So they got tattooed with these tattoos that represented the overthrow of the Shogun back uh, coming out of the feudal period. Oh. So before the full bodysuit tattoos, which didn't come around to the end of the uh, end of the 18th century, really at the beginning of the 19th century, yeah. the only tattoo they got was if they shook hands, 
if you it was a caste society. So if your lover was out of your caste, you would shake hands like we do, and they would put dots where the thumb reached. So if you're an aristocratic class Mm -hmm. and your lover was lower class, you'd have these dots. And everybody knew you were married to this one, but your true love was somebody out of the caste, right? True love, that was the tattooing in Japan. And then, you know, the intervention of the stories of the Sukiyoden and then the unification of Japan and the shogun saying, okay, now we're going to start studying Chinese literature and Chinese history. Mm-hmm. And they brought in the Sukiyo Den, the story of a hundred strong men who were full of tattoos. So people wanted to get rid of the shogun. They wanted a revolt. So they killed his ass under a ginkgo tree, <laughs> which is why all the Japanese plant ginkgos, like we have the 4th of July, they plant ginkgos to prove and to show that they know that they broke out of the uh, feudal period in Japan. Yeah, yeah. And so then there comes the imperial period of Japan. Yeah. So when the imperial period ends at the end of the Second World War, the Yakuza are like, fuck you, you know, we want to bring that back. We don't want this bullshit. And so they start getting these full bodysuit tattoos because they want to go back to the imperial form of government. And this was a commitment to say, I'm not I'm nationalistic and I don't believe in this democratic crap that the Europeans and the Americans brought over. And that's why the Yakuza gets tattooed that way yeah wow that makes that makes a lot of sense i was hearing as well um from some other people who've who've worked and studied over there like um with uh like po zhang he was talking about even in china like how how the local gangster affiliate mafiosos and stuff how they control and keep things there's always a pass between like the the cops the legislation stuff like they allow each other to exist because they balance each other out in a, in a sure, social absolutely. sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, in Japan, if you're a tattoo artist and you have a shop, you take care of one Oyabun, one godfather, and you're not allowed to tattoo anybody else outside oh, wow. of that group. I mean, you could tattoo, you know, Gaijin and other Japanese people, yeah, yeah. us, Gaijin, you know, outsiders. But you have this one family, and that's who you tattoo. Those are your boys. You never see your Nakano with the whole lineup of guys. That's all one, one Yakuza family. You know? Oh, wow. And that's, that's the way it is. You know, like, you know, uh, Luke Atkinson works in Frankfurt. Yeah. 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 But Luke came to work with me for about a year and a half, maybe almost two years. And um, we were working together. And Luke is a great guy and a really fabulous tattoo artist, right? Yeah. We went to this tattoo convention, I think it was in, maybe it was in Holland, and he met this Japanese porn star, and he fell in love with her, so he decides he's going to move to Japan, and uh, of course, you know, he's in bed with her, and somebody comes in the room, she goes, oh, let him come too, you know, and he's like, no, you know, no, no, <laughs> just me, you know, <laughs> so there's, there's this porn star, and she works for the mob, that's her job, right, so he goes over there, and he starts trying to set up a tattoo shop. And one day he gets a little knock at the door and they're like, who the hell are you? And what do you think you're doing? You know, you are not opening up a tattoo shop in Japan without talking to us first. Yeah. You know, we're going to get our bit, you know, their pay, like they're big. And, you know, and you better know somebody that knows somebody. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're going to chop you up into pieces. So <laughs> he left and went, left Japan, you know, literally. Yeah. 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 Back to Frankfurt. Smart move. Smart um, move. Uh, yeah, but that's the way it 
that's the way things are. And Japan finally just made tattooing legal. Legal, yeah. Yeah, finally. because it was always in that gray area, you know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a wonderful history and powerful stuff. But all those images that really are the basics for um, the Japanese full body suits came out of the Sukiya then. But yeah. then along comes guys like Nakano, who has all this gets his brain blown by going into Europe and seeing all this crazy stuff that people were doing. And he started to expand it and really go beyond the limits. You know, he was doing stuff, you know, and then you got yellow blaze. Yeah. Who's breaking ground like nobody's business. Yeah, she stuff is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. And it's, it's right now I have to say with all this, rigmarole around tattooing and the bullshit with upside down tattoos <laughs> more real talent in tattooing now than ever before yeah more real you know raw incredible talent and the young people that really gets me excited That's amazing yeah i look at the work and i'm like wow i mean what else am i going to say uh i've been doing this shit for 45 years i've never seen anything like this before yeah, two years in and just yeah. doing but something then the other side of that coin is everything looks like uh, you know, it looks like iPad. Uh, what's the program for iPad? It's, yeah, the uh, Procreate digital procreate. sticker. Everything's stuff. Procreate. And I'm yeah. like, well, wait a minute. You don't do any drawing. Yep. You go in and you clip art from other places. You glue it all together. And then you trace you're it. it. And, trace it. Yeah. and then you have nothing yeah. to show for it. You know, yeah. I thought, this is really weird. Because I went around the conventions and nobody has drawing pads. Nobody has paper. And it's like, uh, you know, yeah. You're a real old fart, man. If you're drawing on paper, you know. Yeah, that, that was a that happened with about five five six years ago. I went to a convention and there was technical issues. It was just a small regional one. I was going there with some friends because they wanted to go and hang out and party a bit. And uh, I remember the thermal faxes they had weren't working somehow. Something broke. No one knew how to fix them. I knew how to fix them. I didn't say shit. There was no Wi-Fi. None of the printers worked. Ooh. And I had a guy come in. It, he was just floral sleeve start kind of new schooly, and so i had sharpies and i mocked up his sleeve on there and i started working and i was one of the only people working there's a yeah, couple man, people who brought their stuff with them and i was people would come up like well how are you and i'm like i just i drew this stuff on like this is how i learned i learned with a ballpoint pen like we had to draw right. our stuff on we didn't have a stencil machine we didn't have stencil paper we had a hectograph pencil you know, yeah. if you got yeah, still have those. <laughs> down to the nub, they still lay the best stencils, man, um, in my opinion. But, you know, it, it was weird. I, I've moved over to digital now uh, through peer pressure and I, I see some benefits in it. Uh, oh, the I, timing, the time it takes to put together a, a drawing is like nothing. You blow yeah. it up, you fix this, you shrink it down, you turn it this way, that way. Color you studies. Know, I, I'm fascinated uh, by it, but. The negative part of it is, is that, well, all you, um, you know, all of you individualists all look the same. <laughs> it's yeah. like, come on, man, where is your personal creative? There's earth? no innovation. It's flattened. Well, no, there's innovation. In some ways. But, yeah, but... you see guys that are blown out of it, you know, that yeah. are going places that nobody else is going. Just the industry. You know, if you look at large, the, right? the redo of the traditional tattoo, and there's a guy that does tattoos in, in Canada. He calls himself Janky Bangers. J A N K Y Bangers. Uh -huh. This guy is doing some really fascinating stuff. 
Yeah. You have to see it to believe it. It's really like, it's awesome stuff. And it's just out of the tradition of tattooing, but he plays with stuff and he has like all these things blocked out. And I can't really put a phrase to it that would help you to see it. But you look him up, janky bangers. Okay. This guy yeah. is really, he's on an innovative edge. He's moving the ball, you know? And you see guys that take the traditional American tattoos and they start to push them, play with them and bend them, you know? Mm -hmm. That's where it's supposed to go. It's not supposed to be push, repeat, push, repeat. You know, I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, Jerry, Sailor Jerry, until I want to throw up, you know? <laughs> Is that, Sailor Jerry. That's what I. <laughs> you know. Is it? Is that just something that you see happening? I mean, like throughout the career that you've had, where there's a, a number of people who are just going with the flow, and just a separate few who decide to step outside and and do something a bit different. Look, it's always that way, isn't it? That's what our culture is about. I remember when I went to see this this animation film series when I first moved to New York City, and it was this film from Czechoslovakia. And there was this guy uh, sitting in front of a wall. He, he couldn't, he looked that way and the wall went all the way down, all the way that way and all the way up. And he sat there and he took out a newspaper and he sat on a chair and he's tapping his foot and he's looking at the paper. And along comes a guy on a motorcycle, right? And the guy's like, he looks and he, he blasts the motorcycle and he blows a hole through the wall, right? <laughs> he gets to the other side and he's dead. He's laying there. Dead. <laughs> And the guy with the newspaper just folds it up, puts it under his arm, and walks through. And that's it. That's what it's about. You know what? It takes balls to go outside the box. Yeah. Especially in art. Yeah. It takes balls. You got to have courage. You got to believe in what you're doing. You got to have um, integrity. All these things that we – what have we been talking about? We've yeah. been talking about integrity. Yeah. And if you have that, and if you're an artist and you're true to your own integrity and you're true to yourself, you have to look at the world and say, what, what moves me, you know? Yeah. Like, how many times are you going to do hocus-sized wave? How many times? <laughs> Holy shit, man. Did you ever go look at the ocean and see how things happen there? It's like, it don't fucking look like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a graphic explanation that was done in the fucking 1400s. So it's yeah. like, come on, get rid of this. So you know, water looks like this. No, no, it doesn't. And I would tell my employees, go down to the river, go down and look at the way it moves. What happens when a rock falls in? Yeah. You know, uh, go to the ocean and look at what waves do. I mean, are you making a wave here or I don't know what you're making, you know, some uh -huh. curly shit. Uh, it's like, a, come on. And then, you know, you got guys out there running classes now. $350. I'll teach you how to make finger waves. <laughs> what? Like, have you never seen water before? <laughs> it splashes, man. It moves. It globules. And, you know, and then there are guys that say, oh, yeah, I'm going to make it look like globular and I'm going to do this with it and I'm going to play with it and push it. And yeah, because those are the guys on the motorcycle going through the fucking wall. And everybody's going to go, I don't want that. I want a Sailor Jerry pinup girl. Yeah. And he goes, well, I just spent 20 years of my life creating this new direction. And they're like, well, I don't want that. I want something that I can go show my friends and I don't have to explain to them why I got it. Don't have to answer I don't have stupid to make questions. An yeah. As to why I got it. Because they're going to know automatically 
what this is and why I got it. And <laughs> it's about that in America because what people don't want to be, you know, standalone. They don't yeah. want to stand alone. And what are they? They're alone. Mm-hmm. These kids are more alone than any previous generation in the yeah. history of America because, you know, I was at the tattoo convention in, in uh, Schenectady, right? Not Schenectady, no. Well, maybe it was Schenectady, yes. And so I got these kids in front of me, and they're looking through my portfolio, and I start talking to them, and they take two steps back, and they're looking at me like, and I'm like, uh, everything okay? They're like, are you talking to us? I'm like, yeah, what do you want me to do, fucking text you? You're standing right in front of me. <laughs> you know? So New York, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I said, well, so – you know, can we talk about what you're thinking about? You're thinking about getting a tattoo. Are you here just to browse? You're here for just to check out tattoos. Uh. They walked away and they looked at me <laughs> like that guy was talking to us. <laughs> and the rest of the crew, all, everybody else is sitting in the booths like this. And yeah. then looking through books and somebody go, I want that one. Okay, come on. And that's the way it went. And I'm like, I saw this comic somewhere, maybe it was online, had a guy in a booth and it said, I'll tattoo anything you want, anywhere you want it. And he had a line a mile long. And there was a guy that said, I do original art and custom tattooing. And he had nobody. He was sitting there with like flies around him. And And you know what? These kids, and my kids, like I have a 19 year old with my current wife, right? And She's with her friends and well, he is with his friends and they're texting away. Right. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're laughing or laughing. And I'm like, what's going on? They're like, Oh, he sent me this. And I sent it. That. And they're in the same room. Yeah. They're in the same room. And I'm thinking, wow, people are going to lose their ability to have any kind of direct communication, which is why we have this herd mentality. Yeah. We talked about it. The split in our culture between politics and religion or whatever or economics and they're so easily led they're just you know whatever people say this is what you do then you do it because if you want to be in with this group you better listen to this kind of music and you what better have this means. kind of tattoo yeah yeah yeah, and, yeah. 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 And so I, what 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 i always admired about america and about american art was that we broke the rules I mean, you have to know the rules first. You can't yeah. be some butthead because plenty of guys come through the shop. They're like, I've been tattooing for three weeks and I just do tattoos without any outline. I'm like, uh, okay. Have you seen what that shit looks like in about five years? You know, when it all becomes one like blurry mess. I don't know what you mean, man. I'm like, yeah, of course you don't because you don't know ABCs. You can't make words if you don't know your ABCs and you can't write poetry unless you know words. Yeah. Uh, and you can't make art if you don't know the rules. Uh, I mean, that goes back so far. You know, it's like Salvador Dali said, paint like the masters and then tear it up and go in your own way. You know, no. you have to know the fundamentals. What, how is it possible that you can start tattooing and not know the fundamentals? No. It is very possible because you can go into, I don't know, you can go into a Sears catalog and buy a tattoo machine. Yeah. Yeah, the Amazon specials, right? For a hundred dollars, you two can be tattooing at home right now. Yeah, 
and you know, I, I you know, a, a good Bishop rotary costs you twelve hundred bucks for the new rotary, right? With the batteries and the you know all this stuff. And you go online, they're copies of the Bishop rotary for sixty bucks, and guys yeah. are buying them like crazy. Oh, they burn out in three weeks, but it only costs sixty bucks. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, all right. Do you think that machine is running anywhere near? Yeah. High quality, uh, modern machines do and. You know, there's real guys out there that are really understand the tattoo machine now, you know, that the coil machines they are making them so that, you know, they're producing really beautiful machines and they know how to make them run. And it's very impressive, but it's old technology. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to say, but it's all going to disappear. I think at some point in the near future, you know, it's going to go away. But yeah. I, I don't know. I always figured that it's like, we've moved away from the print towards the digital media. There's always those holdouts. I imagine it's going to keep on. I'm hopeful, you know, Yeah. but the pervasiveness of things being uh, industry standard is always probably going to evolve. I mean, I wonder what's going to come next. I mean, sure. With- we're going to have the government telling you that you can't use these machines. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's coming. You know, if we can least- that's why yeah. you join the APT. So you don't have to worry about that. But I think it's just an evolution that's going to go because machines, I mean, early machines, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, perf- the perforating machine from uh, Thomas Edison yeah. was a rotary machine, for Christ's sake, you know. Yeah. Rotary. Samuel Riley. Yeah. You know, fucking rotary machine. It's just. Yeah, they were all rotaries, but, you know, they didn't have the straight up and down stroke that they have now. And the technology is so sophisticated now. And, uh, but I don't poo poo anybody that works with coils. Good for you, man. Yeah. I'm good with it, you know, because I did it for all that time. And it's a beautiful thing. And uh, understanding the technology takes a lot of experience. Yeah. You, you have to understand electromagnetic fields, you have to understand the technology itself, you know. Well, there you go, right? <laughs> it's a, it's a, I, you know, one time when I was teaching somebody to tattoo, oh. uh, I didn't want him to have his own machines yet. So I gave him two of my machines that I just tuned up. And I'm yeah. like, here, work with these and you'll tattoo and tattoo your friends and breakfruits or whatever the hell we're doing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I got the machines back and it just didn't run anymore. I was like, what the hell did you do? I didn't do anything. And I realized that it's like this. And this counts for a lot of different things. You ever go to a party? And you have a jacket, you just got a new jacket, and somebody says, put your jacket on the bed, you know, and all these jackets are piled up, and you go, and everybody's high and having fun. End of the night, you go to leave, and you pick up the jacket, same color as yours, looks the same. You go to put your arm in, and you go, oh, <laughs> that's not mine. Why? Yeah. Why does that happen? Because your electromagnetic field is different than anybody else's. Mm. And so when somebody else messes with your machines or works with them, they're going to change the way that machine runs. And that's a human relationship with this piece of equipment. Now I tell people this also when I teach how to unblock your creativity, because you open up a tattoo magazine and there's a guy who tattoos dead frogs. There's four pages of his work. And you're like, Oh God, I want to be in the magazine. I'm going to start tattooing pictures, uh, drawing pictures of dead frogs. Oh, with tattoos on it and you paste them all over the walls and people come in the shop and they don't even look at it. They go right by it. Like why, why does that happen? Because it's not yours. Mm. It's not yours. You didn't create it. It didn't come from you saying, what is it that moves me? 
it came from trying to make things for the commercial market. Mm. That's the thing I tell artists, writers, everybody. Don't create for the marketplace. It's a fickle bitch, the marketplace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You create in the marketplace, you're never going to survive. Create from what moves you, from what you're inspired by. If you're not inspired by anything, who the fuck knows? Go be a barista. Stop trying to make art, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you think that your art has to be perfect, like I hear guys say, this guy's tattoos are perfect. Well, if you make a perfect tattoo, you might as well just go the fuck home. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, what's the point of keep going? If you made a perfect yeah. tattoo, you don't need to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, there's actually that, that Greek word that that stems from that just means it's complete. Like perfection is just, there's no further. Right. There's nowhere no, to go. From there's there. nowhere. It's that's it. And we create a lie in our culture. We tell kids, uh, what you do is perfect. You want to be perfect. You have to look perfect. You have yeah. to cut your hair like this. You, you have to be perfect. You have, and that idea of perfection kills people. Yeah. It kills creativity. There's no such thing as perfection. And, you know, when tribal cultures make something, they deliberately screw it up. Yeah. When they weave carpets, they make one part of it wrong. Yeah. Because there's no such thing as perfection, and they don't want to claim that they could make the perfect carpet, you know? So Bedouins make a mistake and the Hindus say only God is perfect, right? Nobody yeah. can do a perfect thing. Yeah. And so it creates all this pressure about, I have to be perfect, I have to be perfect. Well, while you're trying to be perfect, the world has gone past you, like, whew. Yeah, I you missed lucky. it. You we're lucky it. with that tattooing, right? Because even if it's perfect, we only need photographic representation of perfection because time, is always going to take a toll on that thing that's perfect. Yeah, well, there's no more Photoshop to show off your tattoos. Man. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> now, when the shit's all faded and uh, lines are cracked and broken, and, and the guy goes, oh, I guess I needed to work better on my lines. Yeah, well, the Photoshop version, it was spectacular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pe people seem to be hiding behind that, too. I've noticed. I've had, I do a lot of cover-up work. Um, like a lot which is kind of wild and i've had some horror stories come in more recently where people like i paid sixteen hundred dollars for this you know fine line little floral piece it's like this big and it's six months and it's totally gone and when i talked to the artist they referred back to the image that's posted online well this is what it looked like you know and it's that so that isn't yeah that's, that's not real this is this has become a part of this person and it's janky you know yeah, it's all fucked anger. up. Yeah, <laughs> but not in a good way, right? It's 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 kind of crazy to me that we have this these this like two distinct personalities that we can live in. Maybe this is why the kids are kind of the way they are now, where you can carefully craft and take your time to make something that you think people are going to like, so you can avoid any type of critique or you know anything else coming back to you. And then your real life, you have no control over. It's better to stay quiet to go with the flow to do whatever. You know, the thing it's is, confusing. like, fine line, single, uh, oh, minimal tattooing. I'm like, that's not a fucking minimal tattoo, dude. That's an outline. Like, when you're going to shade it and color it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, like, what do you mean? This is what I really like. I'm like, it looks like shit. Yeah. You know, get a real tattoo. What do you do? Quit playing around, you know? Yeah. And uh, they think I'm nuts, right? I'm an old man. So they're like, oh, this guy's crazy. He's old. He's got gray hair and shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, I do know what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you now that... 
if you miss your life, if you spend 20 years of your life making shit that other people are going to want and never once make the thing that you want or you believe in or you are moved by, you have led a pretty fucking empty life. Yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, 25 years from now, you're going to look back and say, well, I copied this and I copied that and uh, oh, I pasted this from Photoshop. And no, man, it's like that's because and then people look at me and they go, well, you know, tattooing is not art. It's a craft. So it's a craft. <laughs> that's right. It is a craft and it's a business, too. It's got yeah. that dual uh, identity. But have you looked at craft work? Yeah. People that do crafts are careful and they work their whole lives to get to this place and their work is doing something that nobody else is doing yeah. and that's when they're at the top of their game and they live their life if you're going to be a japanese potter you make one shape for like 15 years just the same thing over and over and over and over which is not something that's going to go down in our culture but, <laughs> you know. no. but <laughs> all of a sudden that guy yeah. makes that pot and he goes he gets it you know it's like clicks bling, yeah. you know, you, the lights go on yes and the top of your head opens up yeah. and all the shit pours in you know and you're able to just take a paintbrush out and by the way that's how i always put my tattoos down with a paintbrush uh, oh wow, right on. on with tattoo ink uh, uh. and I, I was the only guy doing that back in the 80s. And everybody was like, what the fuck are you doing with that paintbrush? Huh? <laughs> I'm drawing a picture of a, a you know a tattoo. And they're like, oh, I never seen anything like that. Where's the stencil? No, no stencil. You know, but you know, and you ca I caught a lot of shit for it then. But now it's uh, you know, it's unique, not unique. Everybody works with markers, and that's a good thing, or stencils. Yeah. I mean, I'm not criticizing anybody else what they do. Yeah. I'm only saying that. What's really a value? You know, that's yeah. the question. If I'm going to say anything about what I did and what I do, what what is of value? You're a dad. You understand what I'm saying. Yeah. What are you going to pass to your kids? You're going to say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, start wearing bell bottoms now. They're back in. Well, I almost killed myself wearing bell bottoms back in the States. <laughs> I got caught in my bicycle. I tumbled over. And, you know, bell bottoms are dangerous. Mm. <laughs> No, and don't be a butthead and copy what everybody else is doing. You yeah. know, it's impossible. I think it's close to impossible to be unique in this culture, to yeah. be yourself, because you got multiple selves coming at you. You know, yeah. well, I'm this online. I'm a thousand pound giant online. And I can yeah. call people and say, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And I don't like your politics and yeah, whatever. But, you know, I get that a lot, actually, with the. Uh many people of all ages now is that they look at the like and follower count to validate the quality of something. Same yeah. with the price. I, I've had people call my shop because my rates were so low and they they didn't want to get tattooed for me because I didn't charge enough. Right. Well, this whole charge thing now is taking a whole new direction, right? Uh, people are saying, I want $2,000 to make a drawing. And if you want to change it, I want another $1,500. What? You know, and there are people that are giving you this money. Yeah. Are they out of their minds? Yeah, they're out of their minds because they think they're getting the best quality. Yeah. You're getting screwed, right? Yeah. So, uh, and this is big talk now, right? It's this big hubbub across the whole internet. Tattoo artists are arguing about what you should charge. And I never charge for drawings, but I do tell people, okay, we'll make changes, you know, but if you're going to like blow off this idea after I just spent 
15 hours working on a drawing and say, I changed my mind. I want to sell a Jerry pinup girl. Uh, you're going to pay me for what I did, yeah. you know, but, yeah. uh, but by the same token, this architecture of charging people to do drawings. And then if they change it, charging them more and all this, it's, it's, it's unethical period no. End of story. You know what I mean? No. You want to be a business, you want to, Follow people that have taken a business class about how to create, you know. Yeah. I, no, this is art. I don't care what you want to call it, a craft or whatever. You're making art. It's not the same thing. It is just not the same thing. Yeah. I, you know, and it, it, it's like when I went to New York City in the 70s, there was a guy I met, right? He painted nothing but big floral paintings. It was always the same flowers. I can't remember what, but it's like orchids or something, right? Yeah. Ten foot paintings of orchids. And he had a whole loft filled with them, all different colors, but it was the same two orchids. And I'm thinking, what is kind of bullshit is this? <laughs> this guy was selling paintings for 10 grand each. Wow. And they were sold before they were painted. Wow. And I'm thinking, this is a shtick, you know? This yeah. is like, oh, I could go to, you know, some furniture store and buy a painting that matches the couch, you know? Yeah. And that's people were doing and it's the same thing you look at the internet and they go oh i'll see what's popular just outlines i'm gonna get that yeah the commodification it's like going through a sears catalog like you said you scroll through until you find something that you like and you purchase it it's a click yeah. and go yeah well that started right after the civil war america was not all homogenized right <laughs> yeah so we have this civil war and what's the first thing that happens the Sears catalog, because they're going to tell you what the inside of your house should look like, what your stove should look like, what your clothes should be like, mm. right? Not only that, but it was a sexual thing because they had drawings of women in underwear. <laughs> but it started to tell people their regionalisms were no longer important. If you were from the South, you still should have a Westinghouse refrigerator or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden, across America, all of what was cultural identities mixed together from Europe and all these places and regional identities disappeared. Yeah. They disappeared, you know. And this is what happened to our culture. And now it is like on high speed, 100 times faster. Yeah. You know, you are nobody unless you have this, you know. Unless you have this kind of money or you drive this kind of car or, and then you get pounded all day with these images. Of, and most people are like, I can hardly pay the rent and uh, cover my uh, insurance yeah. you know, costs and stuff like that. You're, and you got kids and the kids are expensive. I don't give a shit what anybody's yeah, having really kids expensive. is plenty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden you're dealing with expensive. all of this and the kids are coming to you saying, well, why can't we go to Hawaii on vacation? These guys are going. You know, and the father's like, all right, well, I'll take a second job. You know, I'll work harder. I'll do upside down tattoos, whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, uh, it's a painful thing to watch. And that's why when you're making art and you're an artist, people look at you like you're playing in your own poop. Yeah. yeah. They're like, why don't you get a real job? What do you mean you make art? You know, you paint. What the fuck does that mean? You know, yeah. like. Why aren't well, you an engineer yeah. or a doctor or a lawyer or some other? So you can have enough money to go out and get a uh, a Porsche SUV? Come on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's twisted and it's lost. 
because we've lost our soul, you know. I mean, I'm not some, you know, religious dude by any guru. means. <laughs> yeah, or guru by any means, but we have yeah. lost our souls and we right. are we are grasping at things, you know, like everybody's like, I don't know, man. I wake up in the morning, I don't want to get out of fucking bed because yeah. I can't do this or I can't do that or I can't go to Hawaii with my kids or it's insane. It's yeah. insane. I try to I try to help people. With that. So we, we've been doing this test with people um, because there's so much noise in our world now. Our brains work so hard to filter it out so we can even focus on one thing. You know, there's like if you if you use Instagram, every fourth thing that you look at is going to be an advertisement. You know, if you're if you have TV at home, you may be able to stream stuff, but you're constantly being bombarded with ads before you even get to something. It's all crazy, right? So. I've been having people try this. You can try this if you want to as well. Being an artist, I don't know how much you use your phone or tablet or computer, but set it into grayscale. Get rid of all your color, right? The, the, the objects that we have nowadays, are they're more, they're hyper-realistic. Like the colors that you see in your phone, they're not what we see. Yeah, you know, and we're trying to... And you know who's presenting that? Anthropologists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who get PhDs in anthropology, they're not studying people. They're studying how to sell people with color, what kind of refrigerator they should have. Yeah. And that's what they're doing with their degrees. And that's yeah. what so if we, if we take that, if we can remove a single stimulus, right, a stimuli from our brain and just try to quiet some of the noise, like how is it going to help you? Like as an artist, I, I took the color off of my phone a couple of years ago and I had noticed after like the first month of doing it, that the reality that I was in actually seemed much brighter. You know, I wasn't going for that dopamine kick by checking out my phone every, you know, two minutes to try and make sure no, that it's I, I get what you're saying. But I'll tell you what, I grew up with a 10 inch black and white television set. Yeah. It's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> my father was like, who the hell wants to see people in color? You know, and there's <laughs> one guy in the neighborhood that had a color TV and we'd all go to his house, you know, yeah, yeah. look through the window like, yeah. that guy's got a color TV, you know? Believe me, man, it's uh, it's stimulating. I get exactly what you're saying, but the whole idea is you want to quiet down. I, I have to tell you that what changed my life radically. I mean, I came up, I grew up in a low-income housing product project in Patterson, New Jersey. So how did you settle things? You just beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. And you'd go home and your father would beat the hell out of you. And you'd go back out and you'd beat the hell out of the first guy that came along, right? Yeah. And that's what it was. It was a pecking order, right? And then what happens is that you begin to get this rage, yeah? And so I had this rage, yeah? And... I was living in New York City and I was feeling terrible. I wasn't getting anywhere. My artwork was just, you know, wasn't happening. And I started to get really depressed. And a friend of mine said, you should go check out Transcendental Meditation. There's a place right in New York City. They have like an institute where you can go take classes. I was like, I'm from Patterson, New Jersey. I'm not going to go fucking hang out with some guru now and do meditation. Are you crazy? <laughs> you know? And uh, he goes, I think it would help you calm down, you know. And I'm like, oh, I'll think about it. Yeah, I thought about it for five minutes. And then I'm in the house one night and I'm pissed off. I'm yelling and screaming because I forgot to buy something at the market or whatever. And a phone rings. and I put a little ad in the village voice that I would do small jobs like uh, bookshelves or whatever. Right. Because I'm trying to stay alive in New York City. Yeah. I'm 20 years old. You know what I mean? And uh, so I pick up the phone and 
the woman says, hi, I saw your ad in the Village Voice and we need to you know, do some bookshelves. We have a library area. I said, okay, well, I'll come and take a look at the job. I'll estimate whatever. And I said, where are you? She goes, well, this is the Transcendental Meditation Center. <laughs> I was like, is this a joke? Did my friend, you know, Scott tell you to call me? <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? I saw your ad. And I put the phone down and I went there and I thought, this is the universe talking to me, man. It's like, this is too weird, you know? Yeah. So I said, I'll tell you what, if I build these bookshelves, will you give me free classes to meditate? Yeah. They were like, sure. So that's what we did. No kidding. And it was the beginning of my new life. I learned to meditate. I learned to get quiet. And man, there was a whole lot of shit going on in my head, you know, and you begin to separate the voices. This isn't yours. This is your father's. This isn't yours. That's your mother's. This isn't yours. You didn't do that. And you begin to segregate all these things. And that calm, that peace that it brings to your life, suddenly you find yourself looking up and seeing the way you think. And it's going by and you're like, holy shit, I think that? That's why I'm angry because this happened and you start linking things. And they call it the, uh, I don't want to go into a hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's called, it's called the, the cycle of innocence. You start off at the top with a mantra or a chanting or whatever, and you have decreased mental activity, and then you have decreased physical activity. Your body slows down, and you go down to the bottom. This is where all thoughts come from. So you're down there, and you're supposed to be doing your mantra, and suddenly you go, shit, I locked my keys in the car. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you have increased physical activity. Your heart starts beating, and you come up here, and you're like, god damn it, I got to go about, you know, get my key. And then you go, shit, I'm supposed to be doing this mantra. And so you start all over again, right? And you go like this. Now, if you think about your, your life as a grid, every time you get some trauma, there's like a knot tied on one of these intersections, right? Yeah. And you go to the bottom and you pick up some movie about your life and you get scared or you get pissed off and you go back up and you start all over. One of those knots unties yeah. and goes away. And eventually you can start to bring this ideas that are down here up into where you are alive. Now I don't do TM anymore, but I've gone through four or five different forms of meditation. And before I make art, I meditate. Before I write, I meditate. It's calm. When I feel like I want to go out and punch the shit out of somebody, I sit down and I meditate. <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute, that's the old me. Yeah. And uh, I have Gandhi tattooed on me, right? Is he upside Jack down? Rudy, Jack Rudy tattooed me. He's not upside down, yeah? No, he's not upside down. <laughs> so I have Jack Rudy's tattoo. And uh, uh, everything I read about Gandhi was about passive resistance. And yeah. that not acting was not out of weakness. It was courage. It took courage not to fight. It took courage not to react in anger. And I began to wake up and wake up and wake up. And, and uh, you know, when they say the word Buddha, Buddha. It means to be awake. That's what it means. So this whole woke thing that they're talking about now, Buddha doesn't is not a god. Yeah, I mean there's myths about who the you know uh, Buddha is, but it means to awaken, wake the fuck up, yeah. live your life, not somebody else's idea of what your life should be. So you yeah. don't have a lot of shit. You don't have a lot of money. So what? If you're true to yourself, if you're honest with yourself, if you 
love the people that are, are important to you. Nothing else has value other than that. That is what the real value is. Because eventually you're just going to turn into a pile of shit dust. And that's <laughs> well, I think that uh, I have hope for us then with this younger generation, with their passive resistance. <laughs> I think they're right. They're yeah. right. Passive resistance is the mode. Hey, uh, Gandhi chased the fucking British right out of India. Yeah. They said, what do you want us to do? Leave? He said, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna just leave and they yeah. did yeah. you know yeah. anyway we're way off the track but yeah, it's just, no. there's a philosophical underpinning to what you're asking me in all these questions yeah no absolutely no, all the same thing you know yeah. be you know to thy own self be true it's old yeah. axiom yeah and it's well it's never been more accurate than it is now yeah yeah well, i hope that we can uh listen to your words you're truly an inspiring person i kind of want to get up and go and fucking paint right now so <laughs> well that's good <laughs> well, the kids aren't saying come on dad i gotta go to this uh, workshop and i gotta go to this take me to soccer and whatever uh, else but i love my, i love being with my kids now they're pissed off at me you know they're older like fuck you you know yeah I, you know, my, I have a trans child and my trans child said you're just some old white guy that doesn't understand and i'm like teach me you know i'm sorry i'm not i'm not some republican right winger you know i'm like open you you know you're gay that's cool now you're trans okay tell me what we're talking about here what does this, all this mean yeah and i got you know like constantly shit thrown on my face but what are you going to do yeah. and uh kids today and all there's all these laws against kids being trans and all this stuff it's like they're going to change the world yeah. I don't care how radical you think it is, how crazy you think it is. Kids today are redefining identities. They're redefining the world. Right. And who's the, always the first one to redefine it? Who gets the shit? The guy on the motorcycle going through the wall. <laughs> he ends up dead. But you know what? He changed everything. The Momo with the newspaper with the bowler hat that goes to work every day walked right through there. Yeah. yeah. And he made it open. That's what's happening today. That's what's happening in tattooing. That's what's happening in art. That's what's happening in our culture. The kids are going to change the world. That's their job. And our job is to say, you go for it, man. Not to say, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You shouldn't do this. You can't, you know, do that. You know, whatever. It's bullshit. All of it's bullshit. It's all bullshit, right? I mean, when you think about it, when you have children, you see the world in a different light. And when you love the people that you, and you take care of the people that are close to you, even if you don't have children, you see the world in a different way. If you're always me, 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 I want this, I want that, I got to get this, I got to get that thing, uh, you know, fuck you, I'm better than you are. These kids are like all in competition, like these competition shows, it's all horse shit. Yeah. What does it mean? You know who you're in competition with? Yourself. That's right. <laughs> you know, I played pool. You know who loses in the pool game? The guy that can't get his head straight. He's in there going, I don't know if I'm really good enough. Am I going to make this shot? <laughs> no, you got to go, this is the shot. This is the angle. I'm going to take the shot. This is the next shot. That's the where it is, right? You know, Marcel Duchamp, the very famous painter who, you know, um, became famous because Roosevelt said his painting looked like an explosion in a lumber factory, right? It's nude descending the staircase. <laughs> he was so famous, he became ultimately famous. He said, I'm going to quit painting and I'm going to become the chess champion of France. 
Three years later, he was the chess champion of France. <laughs> I mean, God damn, that is, that's a guy who could focus his mind and focus his energy. And he didn't care what anybody else thought. He put an armory show. He put a urinal upside down and signed it, our mutt. <laughs> and then people went crazy. They wanted to burn the place down. <laughs> Because <laughs> he said anything is art. I want to make it art. It's art. If I say it's art, it's art. Uh, and I don't need to fit into your commercial category. Uh, like Robert Indiana sculpture, right? Love, L-O-V-E. Yeah. Huge piece of sculpture. That is the most stolen item ever. Oh, Everybody yeah. steals it. Everybody Everyone steals, steals it. it. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? That's what America is about. <laughs> yep. I'm going to steal that shit and I'm going to make some money. <laughs> that guy is dead. Who gives a shit about his work? You know what I mean? I'm going to steal that. I'm going to be able to go out and buy me a Porsche Cayenne, you know, which is a shameful thing to begin with. A Porsche, a, Porsche, a four-door Porsche, you know, automatic. It's like, what? what? Americans don't know to ask from a hole in the ground, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, All right. That's been our show. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, go ahead and leave us a review on that podcast player that you're listening to. Um, we would really appreciate it if you take the time to do that. As well as uh, we're, we're going to be updating our swag shop here in the next little bit. Um, so you can go ahead and check that out. Uh, there'll be links in the show description if you want to buy that. Or if you want to support the show j just because you like it, go ahead and, and buy us a coffee. There's a link down there as well. Um, anyways, we have some other people coming up uh, for the next couple recordings. And then we're going to be taking a break for the summer to focus on some other endeavors that we got going on. So we'll be back in the fall when things uh, might slow down. I'm not sure if they will or not. So... If you don't hear from us for a while, we apologize, especially if you found it entertaining. Um, uh, but we'll be back soon.